Um, so what we thought we'd do is we'd talk about Surge because it's one of them things that everybody's been either arguing about or going to Alexis and, and if it's okay to say, even at one point when we started talking about Surge, even I was going, eh, eh. Oh, I mean, I think it's fair to say, even if you just look at the E5 YouTube, it's clearly an area that we are still on a journey of discovery. What, you mean the fact that we've done seven hours <laughs> of yeah. podcasts with two different manufacturers and we still don't understand it? Well, um, this is the point. And so for electricians that go on EICRs and things, they see this box, they see the indicators on it, but what decisions do we have to make? What observations do we have to make? Um, you know, so this is why we've held on to this one. And we've got the lovely Kirsty with us. We have indeed. This evening. Um, Welcome, Kirsty. Hi, uh, everyone. Uh, everybody, you should know who Kirsty is. Kirsty, do you want to briefly introduce yourself in case someone doesn't really know who you are? I don't know who that would be, but. So I am the technical director for Surge Protection Devices, biggest in surge protection in the country. Um, we were doing surge protection far before it was anything to do with BS7671, put it that way. Um, and I also to help write the regs on surge protection. So I'm sort of your lady about surge, I think, yeah. generally. Um, it's, it's been known that... Probably one of the nerdiest ladies in the industry. Well, apparently, apparently you're known as the lady of JPEL. <laughs> Actually, no, I just made that up. Um, yeah, so... It wouldn't for, surprise me. For everyone watching, Kirsty sits on JPEL, so she's contributing to the uh, writing of the regs. Is it panel D? That deals with search weird yeah. and the weird and wonderful panel yeah, that deals with all the things that nobody else wants to deal with yeah so it's like mm. the rejects club it's isn't it almost. <laughs> um yeah. so what we thought we'd do is as always we'd remind you um if you're new to the industry oh it's a perfectly exciting time to get into the industry because technology is developing and emerging and this this state of your career this is the norm for you now this surge protection is part of the the it's not going to go away, is it? No, it's never going to go away. Um, and our knowledge and understanding of it has to improve. For, so for those of us with snow on the mountain, um, mm. it's, it's really confusing and, and hard work at times, um, especially when different manufacturers have different views and ideas and opinions, and it's, we're trying to find that common sense. Um, so for everyone who doesn't know, and hopefully everybody does, we've got four codes in the current edition of the wine regs. If you want to know what past one's done, check out the old ones. The old webinars, um, C1, immediate danger. I can see it, I can touch it, it will kill me now. Do you think you'll ever get a C1 on a, on a surge protection installation? Mm. I mean, what, what, what kind of scenario would you consider that? We might, well, let's, let's, we'll get yeah. onto that in a minute. We'll okay. get onto that in a minute. Um, C2, potentially dangerous. I always use the term, one thing has to happen, one thing has to fail, um, and it becomes dangerous, which then effectively again i'm thinking critical systems there could be more cause for the need for that kind of protection in that scenario yeah you could again mm -hmm. it's 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 at the judgment of the inspector uh c3 uh, it's crap improvement improvement required label missing you know screw missing etc mm -hmm. does it compromise safety integrity no does it need to be fixed and improved yes and an fi uh, i always call it the one that i haven't got time for but then again the argument is always you must define your extent and limitation clearly so an FI is, I found something and it needs to be investigated further um, without delay is the key words there, by the way, not all oh, come back in six weeks. I need mm. to investigate this further, which is why lots of FIs equals an unsatisfactory report. Um, still confuses everybody. My favorite GIF, I'm going to use it in every single presentation I ever use, just because I love it. <laughs> why not? John C. Riley's confused scientist, if you're wondering. 
Um, and yeah, so Kirsty, can I ask a question? Has anybody ever uh, gone to court yet over a surge protection issue that we know of in the UK, or maybe even a? I'm aware with the surge surge protection issue. Um, it's happened towards more like systems. Obviously, it's only been very recent that it's been involved in the regs in surge protection. In terms of lightning protection installers, when the lightning protection system is built and the surge protection is put in as part of that, then is then a life safety system. So if that is not installed to standard, then there will be legal action for that. That's more under instruction of 6305, is it? Or similar? Yeah, exactly. So not, so not similar. directly through 7671, which is what we are coding with right now. Well, I think it's it's worth noting for those who are watching who may be new to their journey in the industry is at some point courts and judges are always looking for a precedence. In the last webinar, we talked about duty holder and duty of care mm. um, in and around DNO equipment. Surge protections are fundamentally uh, as a device. It's it's going to be part of the bread and butter of selection and erection um, and protection of an electrical installation. So it's inevitable at some point there will be a precedent set in law. Um, which is when it's that first instance where a judge can say, right, well, this is a case where there was a duty owed and there was surge protection required and it wasn't. Them kind of cases tend to become quite um, high profile, I think mm. it's fair to say. I guess, I guess obviously in, in legacy, though, we've not had enough of these devices installed for us to identify that a lightning strike locally creating a surge, creating equipment failure. But now we have more of these being erected, then you might start to see the ones that don't have them that are now resulting in failure. So there might be more precedence over the coming years where it's evidence that SPDs would have avoided this. Indeed. That's one of the hardest points is people actually saying, oh, you know, what does the absence of an SPD conclude with? Because uh, sometimes, you know, people don't join the dots when equipment no. does fail a period of time after an event. And, and the trouble is, is with inspecting, and I use this nice little seesaw picture from the Engineering Council, it's, it's a balance of risk mm. um, at the end of the day. And that balance of risk has different meanings for different people from the, the person ordering the work, um, you know, the person reading the results six months later, the person doing the work, uh, the person wanting to win the work, the person trying to do the remedials afterwards. Everything in, in work, in the workplace, is a balance of risk. It's all about these terms, duty of care, duty holder, reasonably practical you can see on the seesaw c1 c2 it tilts it to a failure state an fi kind of doesn't ba help balance it out but a c3 would be on the other end as possibly acceptable for an eicr um, mm. and that's kind of one of the things we need to realize when we're going through and also coding is how are we how are we managing and judging the installation in the terms of risk and how we communicate that better? And if you're wondering what I'm dribbling on about, please watch episode one of these webinars on domestic where we do mm. half an hour on this. You spent a good uh, half an hour talking about this document and the indeed, risk. And I'm not going to anymore because I want to talk about lightning because surge protection is <laughs> all about lightning protection. Uh, lightning, yay! Can I, just, can I just jump in and answer um, the gentleman in the chat, old father Watts, um, oh, about insurance companies. He's pointed He's pointed out something very, very important. It's actually something I talk about when I do my webinar. He says that I see insurance companies using the absence of surge protection device to get out clause for not paying out. Um, there is actually insurance companies that are now asking for it on the renew to ask if you actually have surge protection installed. Um, so yes, they're definitely going down that line to pay out for electrical damage. Um, so that was a very relevant comment. Thank you very much. <laughs> Apologies, I've just seen the chat. I've figured out where to get it. Yeah, from. the chat's there. Yeah, they're, they're chatting um, away. Sean Mitchell, that's says, what they do in chat. CGI'd. 
Um, so for everyone watching this on YouTube, you're missing 50% of the fun and the engagement on this because this is us talking as pals and industry peers and colleagues with lots of people who can heckle us in the chat room, which is quite nice. Um, but yeah, uh, right. Okay. Yeah. So um, this is one of the, I thought this was an apt picture to kind of start this talk off really. And that is, that's actually down the road, that's South End Seafront. Uh, recently taken this year um, at the start of the year and it's um, some wonderful lightning strikes there's been a lot of thunderstorm days lately i think the surge protection and lightning protection do they're doing it up do you think yeah, there's some kind of weather balloon up there that's kind of yeah. yeah yeah they just go in and go how many have we sold turn up the lightning no i'm only joking that's a joke a very poor one at that um but you definitely oh, turn it off i hate the rain i definitely turn off the lightning but so with lightning protection, most electricians, and we've seen it at the Alex shows, I think it's fair to say, is a lot of electricians immediately go, right, so a surge protection device is because of a lightning bolt. And we actually saw that at Ali Pali where we, had, we were packed on both days where the, the, the basic question was, this is something to do with lightning, but I don't know what. Yeah. And, and we looked at the regs book, the blue book, and we were like, eh that really could be a lot better. Probably it's, worth noting, Kirsty wasn't... I don't yeah. think you were on JPEL when the 18th was published, um, to be clear. No, I think I joined JPEL because of how bad the 18th was. <laughs> okay, there we it's, go. I've said it before. It's one let's, of my biggest, hope the, my, let's hope yeah. this better next. Okay. I've said it a few times. One of my biggest frustrations is that we illustrate the need for SPDs with lightning, because obviously it's one of the causes, but a lot of electricians will go, well, lightning protection is outside of my remit. And so that's, that's where SPDs have been going for long, many years now, is electricians have been going, oh, that's regarding lightning. Because they, they look at SPDs, they see lightning, you know, um, and they disconnect. It's like the it's like, uh, same thing I have with issues with arc flash protection. You search for that, and they're showing you HV stations with huge amounts of arc flash incident energy when we need to be thinking about it, even at the very low voltage end of the scale. And it's the same here. And this is one of the issues that we have with always illustrating SPDs with lightning. Yeah, I, I'd yeah, agree with that. Yeah, it's something that really, really annoys me. Just, Definitely just something that annoys me. I mean, lightning is an issue, but yeah. there is so much more outside of lightning. And you're right, electricians seem the lightning thing and then they shut off to everything else. They do indeed. Yeah, that was a deliberately leading photo, by the way. Um, there is a question... <laughs> Um, in the chat, which is completely There's disappeared. Loads of questions, actually. Which was, and I think it'd be a good one to ask her, actually, because um, is oh, where's it gone? A lot of people have met you, Kirsty. Yes. Alex says you send you send him emails all the time. <laughs> so met you at Napit Road shows, Alex exhibitions, and all sorts. So yeah, is overvoltage oh, protection? That's nice. <laughs> Sorry, I'm reading out loud. Yeah, um, is overvoltage protection by transients mentioned in the EAWR? So I'm going to I'm going to do some number throwing now. Um, regulation five, strength and capability of electrical equipment. It's just another phenomenon of the utilization of electrical systems, isn't it? Mm -hmm. um, so. Yeah, uh, it's quite interesting though. Regulation, yeah. Hmm. Could, do you know what? I, I actually do think now. I'm of that view that I think EAWR could do with a minor update to maybe. There you. To maybe no, I'm not talking about a full revision, but even the guidance to maybe. That's talk about the connected technologies and the need to protect from external influences a little bit more. Um, they can just reprint us a Sparks read for them in thing. Yeah, that would help. Um, adverse regulation six or hazardous environments. 
We asked um, about C1s earlier on. A couple of guys did say, well, what about hospitals? As I mentioned there, or fire alarms, emergency lighting systems, you know, they're thinking that might be a case for a C1. Ooh, so this is where, yeah, okay. So these debates are going to start to lead away from they which, will. Which, which, they is, will. Which, which is a beautiful thing. But let, let's, so let's crack on with it. So this photo was sent to us a while ago. I think it's on our Instagram page. I'm pretty Remember sure it is. Um, this was one where the, uh, it was a HV line that had fallen down onto a, a pole mounted LV line. Hmm. So um, it wasn't lightning, it was a storm, wasn't it? And it was a line. It was a storm, yes. Yeah, it was just a storm. But it was it was a HV fault that had basically connected into the LV and, mm -hmm. and sent a big old gush of HV down and absolutely destroyed this installation. As you can pretty much see, it's um, they're lucky. They're lucky that it didn't do more damage. I'm actually surprised it's still screwed to the wall. Probably used pan-head screws in old fact. Probably an old school spark there. But um, yeah, I'm, I'm still surprised. So this is kind of the, some of the effects that you can get from voltage spikes that appear in your installation it shouldn't be there and this was the best one for me because it wasn't atmospheric origin it wasn't a direct strike it wasn't a stroke this was from an incident that happened outside the consumer's installation um, so it's it's a it's a really good uh, way of demonstrating think big think slightly bigger than the the, the the pictures that we try and weave to to explain stuff to ourselves this is uh, another installation um which was uh, caused by um a um strike uh, not a, uh, uh, yeah strike to the building um and completely blew and melted that main switch quite nicely in fact i think i've got a head-on picture there you go poor old hager board there's had the main switch completely blown apart and this uh, is just too much energy is that correct yeah yeah into the system yeah this this is this is a perfect example of a uh hager board if there was a, an spd in that that could have um prevented a lot of damage or if there was an spd so i mean right now we're kind of assessing risk to determine whether we need or do not need this mm -hmm. if this happens in a domestic for electrician let's say you're an electrician you've got insurance mm -hmm. this happens uh you assessed risk or maybe you decided you didn't need it this has happened now, going on this uh, insurance kind of, you know, having to have have it the next time, do you think that as an electrician, you should then just install them from now on to give your work warranties? If you go or back find to, another insurer? Go back to the balance of cost and risk, hmm. I would. Um, I think it's fairly evident the globally that the uh, climate change is impacting. This builds about, in the last two years, we've had more lightning strikes than I can ever remember. You know, we weren't a country for lightning storms. When I was a child, you know, lightning was this rare entity that I would dive under my sheets maybe once or twice a year because I was scared of it. Now, um, the minute it's, you know, stormy season, autumn, winter, or even spring, it's, you know, the games, for, even during the summer, for God's sake. You know, we had some a couple of weeks ago that was rumbling through the skies during the middle of the day. You couldn't even see it, but you could still hear that thunder cascading across the top of the clouds. So there's evidently atmospheric uh changes from um global warming that that are and should be changing the way we think about how we protect installations and i think the proof is there's more people putting pictures out there of failed surge protections in terms of the cost of it certainly for domestic and i've said this before um basically you don't really have any reason not to fit one um, because the cost of fitting it is minimal in terms of installing a new consumer unit or doing a rewire or whatever else and even if you do that risk assessment, which we'll look at later in this thing, anyhow, 
just bear in mind that risk assessment is only for things of atmospheric origin. It doesn't cover things like where the high voltage cable fell down in that previous slide, mm. and it doesn't cover things that are just generated on the actual power network itself anyhow. Yeah, it's only based on uh, lightning, isn't yeah. it? So I think we should definitely go along the route, certainly for domestic ones, that it's going to be a standard item that you put in, regardless of whether there's risk assessments done or not, or whatever else it says, because as we've seen there, if you could have done risk assessment on that, it would say, oh yeah, I don't need it. And then there you are, that high voltage cable falls down and uh, there's your results. So, so I think that's a on that one. Can I jump in and be a bit controversial? Go on in. <laughs> so when we're talking about the risk assessment, in terms of the wiring regs, the risk assessment is actually not valid for a domestic situation Ooh. at all. Oh, so that's even, even because better. Because we have, yeah, so we have our, as I know we're going to go through the regs shortly, but we have yeah. our situations where SPD must be installed. We, we have our um, line about single dwellings, and then it says for all other cases, a risk assessment maybe should be performed. If it's not performed, surge protection should be installed. So it's actually a for all other cases. It's a full item. It's not, it doesn't actually cover domestic scenarios. Interesting. What's your take on its current approach to dwelling units as it's written? I think it is possibly, which is saying something, the worst written regulation in 7671 history. Um, wow. I think it's so open to interpretation and it frightens electricians because yeah, they don't quite know what to do with it yeah, yeah. i mean i think sorry single dwelling units it may be emitted and um, surge protection may be emitted for single dwelling units total value of the station equipment therein does not justify protection i mean for one they could actually start speaking in proper english and so people could read it and understand it mm. um but secondly to that it's so ambiguous i mean as an electrician you can't walk around somebody's house and try and add up how much their house is worth because they'll think you're trying to rob them so um, is is the point of that regulation being worded in such a stupid fashion just to make a gradual change in approach so instead of going we don't really mention it. Now you must. We're going to go in the middle first, and then, then, and then increase that over a, over a future amendment, maybe. Um, I think European regs um, for the obviously we we take our regs from European regs. What the European regs say is SPD must be in, unless the value of the electrical installation less than five times. So they give you a physical value. Um, so if an SPD was 50 quid, your value, your installation would have to have the electrical value of less than 50 quid, um, less than 250 quid to not install it. Um, when it came over to the UK, they watered it down and made it much more messy. And my professional point of view from the company and not as anything to do with JPAL, mm -hmm. I feel that was to appease certain other members of the rather than technical intent of what the European regulations were actually talking about. Mm. So just on that, um, there was a question, somebody asked what JPEL was. So JPEL is the Joint Power and Electrical Committee. They're the UK group that try and interpret the harmonised documents of Europe and agree what we're going to put in 7671 and yeah, there's lots of committees. Tea, biscuits, 
standardization yeah. meetings yeah emails. really complex wording like why don't we use the word equipotential instead of equal voltage mm. really and then debates yeah that sound intelligent it yeah um you can you know you can you can do some of your own work i mean we looked at 60364 um to kind of then look further afield um but yeah uh, i have um i have i have i have I have nothing nice to say. I'm sorry. Well, we, well can I just interject here? There are some people. There are some people involved in JPAL that genuinely, yeah. Like I, I'm involved with JPAL because I want to make a good change. Then, um, not all, yeah. all of not don't tar us all with the same brush. Oh no, no, we would never do that. <laughs> no, we no, do that, but we me. are we're familiar with some some old people who are just yeah they need to who need to retire. Uh, I think yes. is the phrase. Yes. Um, and there should be a time limit. Uh, basically, stopping things moving forward, like like the way you want things to move. We know we know many that are just obstructing that from happening. Um, yeah, I just... The value thing. I mean, the, whether it's fifty pounds or a hundred pounds, or even if it's like it would cost you five hundred pounds to put the thing in. Yeah. The reality is that ninety nine percent of people are going to have way more than that in their house. And even if they didn't, the other thing to consider is that the consuming it itself is not a 50 quid item, or less certainly shouldn't be. No. If you've got a, like an RCBO board and it's got like 10 of them in it, I mean, you could be looking hundreds and hundreds of pounds just for the consumer unit. So straight away, you're over the value anyhow, just for the actual consumer in itself before you've actually connected anything. Mm. So yeah, the, the whole value thing, and you can exclude it, is, is a complete load of nonsense. Certainly for oh, MK, MK have got some um, a screw fix and knocking out MK boards at 66 quid. Yes. Close to the 50. Um, but, but I think this, I think this is the frustration, though. The frustration is where we have such a lack of understanding in the actual um, technology itself, and then we have that regulation. Then we look at how we apply these, where we listen to the common person schemes to give us instruction, and then they give us mixed information. It just creates a load of noise and a load of confusion and differences of opinion instead of just just giving it a wouldn't Black, it be white. good if we could have differences of facts instead yeah. of opinions? That would be good. And technical arguments. I mean, like how a risk assessment like, would work. If it's yeah. this, do that. If it's that, do this. But technical opinions based on evidence and experimentation and advice from scientists and various other people. And yeah, oh, wow, the, the world would be a wonderful place. Can I, can I just say that Cinnamon here has put the best comment I've seen on any of these webinars? Yeah, Cinnamon. I believe that's how you pronounce it, or I'm reading it. Um, he's written Surge. Would you like a little lemon twist for that? Which I love because that's a <laughs> Beverly Hills Cop reference to the guy Surge. Surge. Anyway. Surge. Yeah. yeah. I'm good. actually 60 messages behind. I need to catch up. I know. I'm just, I'm just, I'm just reading through as quick as we can, actually. Um, just moving on into this. So here's a code. Let's, let's do some coding. So you are now walking into a building that is uh, uh, an electronic systems protection um, first surge protection device. Um, hopefully I've got this working right. So there you go. Just in case you can't see much. Um, code that. So what do you think? You've seen that. How would you code it? I run a poll. Run a poll. Um, old Father Watts. Is your dad in this somewhere? He's in all these. He's supposed to be oh, doing Old work. Father Watts. Yeah, stalks me. I can see insurance companies using the absence of surge protection as a, as a get out claw. If there's unambig, if there's inambiguous, the, the you know the word I'm talking about. Yeah, Kirsty read out earlier. Yeah, um, yeah, that's definitely a weird one. Um, insurance companies, any levels of no, no, I am well behind. 
But you mentioned not a precedent. Vote. That's mean. <laughs> but you mentioned a precedent. <laughs> and this is the point. You know, if there's if there's a precedent, then they'll go. Oh, I'll have surge next time. And if you don't have surge, then you're in trouble. Confession time here. Sean has said I live near Southend. Never seen that. Um, that's because you were experimenting with AFDDs at the time that photo was taken. Because um, Sean is very near that. Um, yeah. Oh, look at that. James has already put up comment from EWH. Reg 5, paragraph 82. These currents include, for example, low currents, transient overloads, fault currents, pulses. Of, there you go. There you go. Reg, see, I was right. Reg 5. So, damn, I didn't even get the book out. Chapter, that must be from HSR 25? Uh, yes. He's giving you a yeah. chapter, uh, paragraph number? Yes, yeah. Good man. Oh, he said Paul beat me to it. Sorry, I've just literally <laughs> read comments, so this makes no sense to anyone watching on YouTube, but there you go. Um, we are trying to go through these comments. Um, do their job. So what do we? Is everybody coded? I'll give it a seventy-one percent have voted. So let's let's end and share this one. So this this been ooh C two potential danger. Fifty-seven percent have gone. So C2. question for everyone in the chat room then: um, What and why would you say that is potential danger there? Because these devices are designed to take a pounding. No surge protection device just goes and I'm dead. Well, unless there's some apocalyptic event, maybe, or they're just poorly made. Um, John, you can vouch for that. Um, but why? What are we looking for when we're coding that? Well, Daniel Casey's put a thing in the to oh. chat there as well. Uh, put FI as in, what is it protecting? Is it a safety critical service? So it's not just about the thing itself. It's about what it's actually attached to, which obviously in this picture we don't know. I'm uh, sure we can guess, but... Uh, Obviously, you'd need to consider it in context of why it's been fitted in the first place. Yeah, no, I agree. So yeah. it's a three-phase system. I can tell you now, um, I know this one because this was the one for, I think it was Thought Bay. Um, that was the surge protection device for Thought Oh, no, no, it wasn't. Thought Bay comes up in a second. Um, this was okay. for Raynham. Because I can remember one where it was like this as well, and it wasn't that one. Yeah, well, now we've got another one. Um, but right. yeah, I would see to this because it's three phase. It's obviously, uh, if it's three phase, generally it's not going to be uh, domestic. I hate using that word generally, but it's not going to be domestic. When you're there, you're going to realize if there's a commercial operation, interruption um, or damage to electrical systems interfere with commercial operation, which has a potential commercial risk to the business and damage to cabling and electrical infrastructure is so high that there is a potential danger to the operations of the business. More importantly, does that highway, warrant us going into CT C2 territory though? I, yeah, I would say so. And do you want me to um, give me sight from my point of view on this? Yeah, go for it. Go for it. So from my point of view, I know obviously in the industry, I know this device. So I know straight away looking at this, this is a type one lightning protection device. This isn't just designed for your standard surges. So this will be attached to a, a structure that had an external lightning protection system on it. So straight away on external lightning protection system, your surge protection device isn't running at full strength. I mean, if you get a lightning strike to that installation, you're probably going to have severe damage and then there is a risk to life. So from my point of view, it would be C2. Yeah. I'm C2 and, and also at the top of the <laughs> she knows her stuff at the top of the device there's a vault free contact which allows you to do some sort of remote indication which yeah. lo and behold the lightning protection company that installed it um, um, basically would not bother 
because it's uh, I don't know how many people have engaged with lightning protection. We we spoke about this with Sean um, yeah. from Dane. Was it's um, we'll do the we'll do all the cable the the tapes around the outside of the building and the rods, and then we'll just leave a cable cord up, and you get someone called an NIC electrician, whatever that is, and then they have to figure the rest out for themselves, or that's left on the floor of the switch room. Um, but yeah, so I think that's a that's a good example. C two, absolutely. I've got another yeah. one for you. Um, so well done everyone who did C two, and well done everyone who did LIM because um not limb sorry fi fi i've got limb in my brain now that's it i'm mr limb from now on um here's another one um it's not exactly the nicest is it really to be honest with you um i've zoomed in there you go i figured out how to do zoom in now by the way on this so good man um it's labeled up surge protection is another one off a of railway um what you can probably tell if i zoom back out um i think there's a number of issues going on here um Okay. Well, I mean, if we do a poll, it'll be the same thing, won't it? Let's let's code it. Let's code. You it. want to code it? Okay. Yeah. Let's let's code it. But but let's let's see if people maybe before they. Do you want to say anything else before decision. we launch it? No, no. This is the only photo I've got of it. Sadly, um, obviously you can probably if you look at the photo, you can see that the, the uh, armors are, are rotten where they connect into the board. Okay. But also the one thing I can't see very well is the actual means and method of connection, and I can tell you now that was a sub board. Um, now there is distances and, and requirements for distances and that's again a type one so you have to wonder is is there any effectiveness from that device on the length of connections all right well okay we'll run it so for me the length of connections on that it looks to me like it's bolted to the side of the side of the board on the right hand side mm -hmm. so it would depend on the wiring inside so it would need further investigation my first thing at that was it's a three-phase surge protection device you've only got two lights on it so your third phase is not connected if the device had gone it would be showing red and um, so that tells me it's got no connection your third phase and the, this is the deep joy um, the electrician's face because when electrician when I first looked at these my first comment was crap because there is crap there's crap on it, it yeah <laughs> so then, then I have to go and get a specialist to go and clean said crap off because um, a lot of electricians won't use big wipes and there is hazards from pigeon poo as well um, if they're breathed in but yeah she's absolutely right because red um, shows there's a fault so there is actually some form of disconnection going on there yeah, just on that pigeon thing, yeah, for those that don't know, if you uh, get a lot of pigeon crap and it gets in the air and you breathe it in, it is actually a very serious health hazard. So uh, don't, if you can avoid don't. it, uh, get specialists in to clean it up first. <coughs> can I just say that's the first Rather. time John has ever said crap on any form of uh, content. Well done. God bless you. Mm -hmm. Keep it up. Um, it's good to know. I'm going to make a gift for that or something. I'm just going to put that on loop. Um <laughs> Sorry, I'm joking. Um, so yeah, there's there's definitely um, there's definitely FI needed there, isn't there? So um, what does everyone else think about it? Obviously, oh, we can't vote, can we? No. Okay, fine. Let's go. Uh, else voted, and here we go. Fifty-one percent have gone C two. Forty-three percent on an FI on this. So the principles of of kind of both were the same. There's two. The two are the same devices. Two different scenarios at two different locations two different codes even though at first glance you think it may be the same thing and and this is the point of one of the things that we need to do in my opinion is we need to look more we need to study more as electricians we know a Hager product a Schneider product we have our go-to devices but I think it's fair to say when we're doing coding we need to understand these larger devices the smaller single fact we're going to have to start looking at various manufacturers 
as to what their indicators are and how they operate and if they work differently, which I think we'll come on to in a bit anyway. Yeah, I, th I, th I, think, in I think generally um, with the majority of electricians, they see an SPD, they know it should be there and the lights should be on. Mm. If, <clears throat> if the lights are either of, uh, you know, red color or they're off like this i'm not sure if they would already you know immediately know the differences between the two yeah and and sometimes it's as simple as if i can zoom back in it's, it's as simple as actually reading green full protection green and red reduced protection red no protection what as about see, no light there's no light exactly my my worry Obviously, it's a three-phase panel board. You put a three-phase in. My worry straight away would be you've got a loose cable somewhere, and that potential hazard all by itself. It's fair to say me and Dave know know that pain. Mm -hmm. <laughs> we know that pain. Trust me. Um, okay, so this is uh, another one that I've stitched this photo together because um, this was you can't you can only see the bottom of the device um, just because of my crap photography, and I apologise. Um, there is more to this picture, but I wanted to get the key points in. Um, there were no lights on this. So imagine that panel board is off. What would you code no lights? What have we just spoke about? What's the code? What does everyone think the code is? You mean to do it again? Yeah, do it again. Run it. Okay. The solution is, is, is kind of staring them straight in the face hmm. there. But this is the thing. This is the difference because this this one is one that personally bugged the hell out of me um, because it was like, well, hang on, then there's an evident answer to this, but we didn't realise how evident it was until we actually opened it up. Right. It's, it's is this one the way you well, it was assumed before inspection that it was just switched off? Yes. Right. Assumed switched off, um, but upon closer investigation and more safer work switched practice, off, is it? It's not switched off. No, it's completely frigging disconnected. If you assume things on any electric installation, then you're going to get into a load of trouble because uh, if you assume something is what it is, you'll find that it's not. And it's the one thing you could never have imagined. And that's actually what it is. So, uh, what's, what's the famous term for assume? With assume, you make an arse out of you and me. Indeed. Stick the spelling. Um, yeah. So what does everyone think? Has everybody voted yet? Yeah, I know it's an obvious one. It's Captain Obvious. But again, there you go. It isn't and this is about sharing the stories of the stuff we find so that as inspectors we can be better and we can understand that we might not necessarily always think of everything we've got a draw on this one. one. Oh, do you know what both of them are bang on oh no i'm sitting on the fence yeah Sorry. You're, you're too coding it's I'm, I'm dual coding how dare i um definitely fi was required on the initial discovery of no lights um and and for not having that protection absolutely c2 because it's commercial operation and it's for the benefit for the benefit of youtube it's a c2 and an fi both got a 41 percent yes. vote on this one yeah sorry we keep forgetting that everyone's watching this on youtube so we apologize it's much more fun inside i make it my job to try to say it so that people can then catch it but yeah your job so thank you so yeah why has it been disconnected um, I, 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 yeah, I can, I can actually tell you the reason why it was disconnected, um, because it was annoying, um, because basically what was happening was um, it kept on. They, there was a, re a history of these units failing, and because it was costing people money to replace them, they didn't understand what it did. Um, they just had it disconnected by the electrical contractor. So the, the electrical contractor didn't know any better. They kept failing around a route, 
Yeah. Like, this is annoying. Yep. Let's just take it out. Yeah. Genius. Genius. It's it's genius. genius. But what that does do is that, that that shows you the electrical contractor had zero competence. And it also showed you that the client had zero competence as well in the ownership of this yeah. device. And this is where electricians need to be uh, more considerate, better communicating the wording and the discharge in the duty of care. And I love the fact that the, 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 one of your guys has put uh, paragraph 82 of regulation five. You know, you can link these 7671 clauses, however badly written they may be, um, and that duty of care as a competent contractor to take all reasonable steps to say, I found a surge protection disconnected. Um, it's realistically a C2. I don't really need to investigate unless you're not opening that panel, then there's an FI. Um, but by the way, this needs to be better protected. Oh, and also I need to understand the levels of protection that device gives and is it suitable and sufficient for protection of the current system? Okay, question. Regulations. Question then. Go for it. I mean, bear in mind that this is probably relative to railway. However, if this is anywhere, this is going to be under lightning protection, 62305, correct? Uh, yes, because it's a type one, but right. there are some of these that are type one. We had this chat with Sean and I, when yeah. we talked about car pass and I said, well, why is 62305 not within the reach of the scope of BS76710? And this is the same problem here. Oh, yes, of course. Car parks weren't, were they? These big there is, rods. There is a crossover between the two. So although that have got an external lightning protection system are outside of the scope of 7671 they, they refer to 62305 so often that i don't believe it can actually be outside of the scope of 7671 don't they put it in the scope in 110 because there's too many old people that need to tire <laughs> i'm just gonna have to i'm gonna have to edit this like mad now you know that it's been coming out for weeks everybody because i'm just gonna have to go through and edit all of these right these honest comments um so under 7671, when we look at lightning protection, we think, okay, it's not in scope. It does say in 444443 uh, somewhere, many references to 62305. So that means we now have to go and get 62305 and pick up 62305 to realize that, 100, that type one is actually necessary? Or do we just get no, enough, so do we get enough from 7671? You do get enough from 7671. Um, so in the 534 section, um, oh, we're talking the, about what sort one. of devices to put where. In the selection. Think about that one. Whoever disconnected that and requests it disconnected, I mean, it, it's, it's total incompetence because even if they didn't know what it was for and they've come across this device, the proper thing to do would be to actually go and find out what it was for rather than just say, oh, we don't need it, so just get rid of it because there's obviously going to be stuff out there, not just search protection, all kinds of other stuff that people may not have come across before. The problem is, John, I don't know what it is. So, how many times have you been on a site and you see old gear, old switch gear that's left? Yeah, yeah. You know, and a lot of electricians might just assume, oh, oh there's that word left. Assume that that's but, been left. So yeah, make a bit of effort, and that's basically it. Doesn't take a huge amount of effort to find out what these things are, does it? I mean, mm. everyone's got the internet now. It's five minutes and you can find out so yeah make a bit of effort before making just random decisions of getting rid of stuff and uh, thinking it's not actually needed so i've got mentions of type 1 spds on page 161 where do i need to go to from there kirsty so you've got your image on 160 with yep. the lightning zone concept 
Um, and it says in the key for that where you've got your rings, SPD at LPZ zero to one for lightning current protection. Um, so it says this little star at the bottom says boundary of LPZ one is an external lightning protection system. Mm -hmm. So it is telling you there about light protection devices and then it starts to go over to type one and type two on the next page. Um, when we go over to 162, we have a little diagram yep. where we have type one or type twos. And it does talk a little bit more through there. And it, it's it, usual with the regs. It isn't the most clear thing in the world. So is that enough for it to be within the scope of my EIC under 7671? I would argue yes. Yeah. 534416, part three. Overvolt, which is another services feeding other structures, such secondary buildings, external installations, lighting, power lines, and feeding external sensors. I would probably use that one section there to say that the car parks are relevant and prevalent and inherently linked. Um, but yeah, sorry. Um, just just to clarify as well, 62305 is mentioned 27 times in BS 7671, which I find remarkably wonderful and brilliant in every way, shape or form, um, especially when they then um, have the cheek to actually talk about it being excluded from scope in 1102. Um, part nine yeah and i have had this this chat with people in the nosebleed sections of our industry um there is a bitter irony and i'm going to say this out loud a bitter irony and a stupidity in doing an exclusion from scope where last week we talked about part one systems for distribution of electricity to the public well that's the transform of the cabling not necessarily the head because a, a system is a, a series of components not one so there's there's not that transparency and clarity in where the boundaries are and 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 within installations now everything is becoming so mutually independent um regulations are now i think it's fair to say overlapping each other consistently or not as may be the case in some regulations from my have in my head which you guys aren't too familiar with is the incompetence no. or the um basically the 2391 and other training about this work and the lack of coverage in this area it's just frustrating i think there's a lot i think there's a lot to do in the comments a couple of people put what are the current transformers for in the picture because they don't seem to have any kind of points of being there they're just well of... they were once upon a time i assume monitoring they <laughs> were they were at one point um doing some monitoring mm. um, but they were removed because they were pretty crap. A lot of those need to be moved. They're in the bloody way in a lot yes. of your stuff. Indeed. All right. I'm going to catch up with the chat. I'm 114 messages behind. You guys oh, apologies. Okay, so um, yes, no, for risks. Uh, I'm reading the chat as well. So if you're on YouTube, just yes, play some elevated music in the back of your yeah. head. Um, yeah, almost as bad. Old Father Watts said, almost as bad as premature collapse of wiring systems. The IET needs to start writing in plain, understandable English. I personally have a view, um, and that is they do it because they want to feel empowered. Um, I have had this debate with a number of people, some of my views on the use of the term equipotential. Um, I, I genuinely did not know, because again, born in Tottenham, I didn't know what equipotential was. It's only when my college lecturer said it means equal voltage, and I just said to him, why the hell don't they say that? And he went, because they want to sound important. I was just like, that's just arrogance at the highest level. Yep. It brings us full circle with... We don't with, dumb down. We're not dumbing down, but we need plain English so that there isn't that ambiguity or... People, people need forget. people need electricians to need people. Yes. And they, also, they, also, they, David, the most they need us to not know this stuff. 
How do the competent electricians explain this to the public when they're talking about equipotential and transients? Because if you if I said, oh, equipotential transients, mm. I'd go equal opportunities uh, for tramps. I yeah. had this. I've had a couple of phone calls um, with a couple of lads like Nigel, etc., where they've asked me how to help them write. Because electricians don't want to write technically because they don't want to overwhelm and put nuisance information in front of their client. But they first need to understand the technical detail to then simplify it. You must first understand the technical content to then simplify it correctly, instead of just simplifying horseshit, which is often what happens because that's they don't, it. I mean, that's why when I'm, that's why I start right at the beginning when I do my surge protection training, um, and I literally start with how a surge device works mm. and sort of why we're using it. And I think there's there's so much of that missing. Yeah, there is. all the courses that are out there now i mean i've written quite a few from various different organizations and none of them are interested in going in right at the basics of explaining how a device works why it works the way it does so just on just on this there's some great comments did boris johnson write it it's a terrible regulation um does anybody in the chat have different explanations that have been given to them that they can share with us as to what a surge protection device does because um, the majority what, of people. one of the ones that I like the most is um, I was trying to explain it to a plumber and um, this guy, because I was, I was showing him some surge protection devices and he was wiring up my boiler and he said, oh, this surge protection stuff. Oh, and I said, well, that's like a two, 2000 pound boiler there. You know, that's critical to heating of my home. I need to make sure there's surge protection. He went, what's it like? So I tried to explain it to him and he just went, can you just explain it in water terms? And I was just like, well, imagine water coming into a device and if the pressure goes too high it diverts it off somewhere and blows it out the side of the house and you went, oh right yeah no, i get that we've got them all the time you know we're on boilers they haven't built in where there's if there's too much pressure there's a pressure relief valve and it just blows the water out sometimes the sometimes the water analogy is best i've been doing it this afternoon writing some original syllabus and you have to go back to the water analogy as a way for people to see flow electricity in, flow out yeah, yeah flow in flow out too much pressure all of a sudden Mm. diverts it somewhere else but with surge protection i think far a lot of electricians when they go on an opportunity to do training like with regulations training unfortunately i think we mentioned this on a previous webinar um trainers don't have the knowledge to to honor it and deliver it to the attendees and the trainers think about the exam and they go oh there's only one or two questions let's move on and there's no added time to add the information so there's no time to bring in an understanding on the actual technology to then understand how to use the technology it's a case of there's a reg there's one let's move on to part five um and until that gets fixed a lot of electricians will have to then come back round and they'll have to go to the conferences the exhibitions and they're still confused so not enough time before we... i mean i i use the water i use the bath flow analogy that's my on how a surge device works and why it does what it does. I think I've never had anyone when I've explained that not understand it is. Hmm. I mean, the, the basic concept is quite simple. And once you get people to understand, obviously, what it's about, but if say, if you're going with all the wrong words, then of course, uh, people are never going to get it. But yeah, if you simplify it, it's uh, the concept is uh, quite straightforward. So for everyone watching or anyone who's learning, MCBs, yeah, overcurrent and fault current protection, RCDs, earth leakage, surge protection, transient voltages, spikes in voltage. It doesn't deal with current, it deals with voltage spikes, protects the fixed equipment, doesn't regulate voltage or anything like that. It's that additional protection that we never knew we needed, but evidently we do now. Um, so I've got a controversial thing before we get onto this 
different way of looking at it. Um, I think when the 18th edition came out, the best intentions was done with the surge protection requirements. I just think it was probably maybe too much or done rushed because um, surge protection wasn't new in the 18th edition to an extent because there was the AQ criteria, if I remember it rightly, um, yeah, in AQ past too. editions that we had to consider that nobody bothered doing. It was negligible, I think it was, was the external influence of AQ2, which was basically said there was there was not much. Great. And that, and that was it. You mean like that regulation that says DC in an AC network go to a reg that doesn't exist? Well, at least there was something, but yeah, AM7's got nothing in it. Yeah, so what what we thought it might be called is to kind of reverse the whole way of look, because we always start with the regulation, what does the regulation say? Mm. So I thought it might be cool if, if we... Kirsty, we could maybe look at a, a calc or, or a formula and take a random place and, and work backwards because we're, we're always working forwards. And I thought it'd just be kind of cool and different to work our way through it backwards, if that makes any sense. So, um, yeah, this is this is a map and, and Kirsty. Yeah, well, no problem at all. Go for it. Okay, so this was, oh, sorry, I hit my mic. Um, this was just on the outskirts of London and it is just a random building. I don't know what's in it, whatever. It was just a building I want you to use so we could go through the risk assessment. Um, as I said, this is not for a domestic, so this is not a domestic, even though it's obviously huge, it's probably not a domestic. Um, I just wanted something to be able to show you a, an actual building to do the risk assessment on. So formula, which I know we're going to go through shortly anyway, the CRL, calculated risk level is what we're trying to work out. We start with the FEMV, which is the factor of the environment, which is given to us on page 103 in your regs. Um, it's just a little table. Rural and suburban environment, you start with a number of 85, 850. Um, I can't remember which one around it is now. A rural and suburban, sorry, 85. And a urban environment, you start with a number of 850. Um, LP is the overhead and underground cables coming into your installation and ng is given to us off the grayscale map so you just pick where you are in the country gives you a color color corresponds to a key you pick your number out um, and that gives you your ng to put in so starting with the factory of the environment this is literally on the outskirts of london urban environment and um, so we start with the number of 850 um lp so we've worked it out here as you can see, coming into this installation, we've got no overheads. Um, so we're only looking at our, we, we take it as we only take into consideration the nearest kilometre. We don't take into consideration anything over that in terms of the risk assessment. So as we can't see any overheads, we take it as one kilometre underground. So we put that into our formula and we literally end up with LP equals one. NG where we are in the map is 0.8, so we put all that into our CRL, we come out with a number of 1,062.5. So as the number is above 1,000, the risk assessment tells us that protection against atmospheric transients is not required. Yeah. But what I want to yeah. point out straight away here is even though it's not required, it's only atmospheric transients. This is not talking of surges. This does not tell you you do not need surge protection. It just tells you you do not need protection against ambience. What do you guys think about that? Well, I think that's I think that's a key wording there, isn't it? So we've we've spent donkeys um, going on about these bloody uh, calculations and formulas, and it's that key word. It's protection against atmospheric transients that necessarily you know is only 
it's not really surged to us to the extent of what we are selecting and erecting within our board especially within the domestic home i think this is where it's become a mother's fuddle if you don't mind me saying and where the wording probably could have been improved quite a bit yeah terry austin in the comments has found an interesting fact about this building apparently i knew this they building would. is a block of flats Oh, <laughs> well, I'm just taking it as a random building. <laughs> so, how on earth have you found that? They found them, they've looked at the road name and they've, they've Googled it and they've mapped it. And you know what? Before, tell us where the nearest sub is, guys. Come on. Um, I knew this had happened. Put a photo in and they'll find the image of where it is. <laughs> it's a block of flats. Good on you. It's probably so, in one of them. For me, with this building, um, it was just a random one. I, yeah. I deliberately did choose it because it backs onto the railway line. So although this risk assessment is saying you do not need protection against atmospheric transients, mm -hmm. proper surges, over voltage transients are going to be a major issue backing onto a railway line. So if you have any sort of critical equipment in there, anything that's going to be sensitive, it would be really, really a surge protection. But the risk assessment would tell you you don't need it against atmospheric transients. So you have to be very careful with the wording. Why is that, Paul? What? The wording? No, the, the, the railway line. Why, what is, what's happening on the railway line to make that a problem for me? I can't possibly say anything. My lips are sealed. No. Um, so one of the things that can easily happen within that distance, um, you can get um, traction return currents easily. Given the position of that, if that's a block of flats, one, I would ask who allowed that to be built so close to the railway line. And don't get me wrong, there are loads of them. But um, one of the things that kind of um, does the thing with my urine um, is when you see blocks of flats it. going up and they yeah it does boil it um but one of the things that they don't do is they don't do the cooperation and coordination principal design and duties between the railways right. and they don't realize if that was say a third rail or a, a, a dc traction system what you'll find is is within that distance of the tracks if that's within 30 meters they'll be importing and picking up dc on their rebar and their foundation Mm -hmm. um, which is a problem which may end up in their consumer units because somebody will probably put loads of rods in and foundation rods and connected everything together um, and there might be a problem there if it's ac if there's a dewirement um, there could potentially on a dewirement given the fact that the wire can flay and splay everywhere um, what you will end up getting is whatever piece of metal it eventually earths out to that traction return and that voltage will dissipate into the ground and produce a stroke effect and yeah. if there's a cable nearby, you may end up with current and voltage um, appearing on that and entering the electrical installation via the stroke, which we'll explain at the end. We've got nice images of, a, of the difference between a strike and a stroke to explain to you at the end of this as well. What kind of proximity you, would you say would be safe? Let's say, because again, electricians might be in there doing a domestic or a commercial EICR with absolutely no right. knowledge of electrification. Uh, there is, okay, so here's a bit of knowledge for you. Um, York EMC services do a great EMC and railway training course. I've done it. And they also do a three-day testing of EMC. And you, you know, I went there as a simpleton um, electrician asking lots of questions. And we went into the is middle Is that where you went into a field in a tent? We went into a field in a tent. I've and we, seen a we had, we had uh, an electrode in the ground and the guy put an oscilloscope onto it and he was mm. managing to pick up traction return energy a mile away from York Station. And he was able to literally look at the time term and go, yeah, that's the 302 from York. Okay. And we were still picking up the return energy dissipating in the ground. So 
Um, I am learning at vast array, as you know, Dave, um, that true earth is, is, is pretty much, it's not zero volt. It's always going to have some form of charge, voltage or energy in it, unless you're in the middle of a field. Uh, mm. And even then you can't guarantee it. Because again, I mean... With a lightning stroke, we can travel up to two miles underground um, and cause voltage disturbances up to two miles away. So I'd, I'd be looking out from your traction return system. And this is why I don't live within a mile of a railway as well. Okay. I've got a railway about 50 yards from my house. Okay. Um, Move. <laughs> so the question I've got is how are electricians going to understand this? Well, I've, I've been all, I'm going to be honest, I've struggled to understand it all, to be honest with you, in my simpleton brain. Um, and the, but the thing is, is that, again, this is my opinion, that's okay with me, hmm. because um, every journey you go on is about learning and discovering and using your peers to bounce off. The people in this chat room are making some great comments. Um, Daniel Casey's quoted IEC 60364-4-44, because he's just that detail or it. God bless you, Daniel. And, he, and he's quoted the reg. Overvoltage protection is not required for a single dwelling unit where the total economic value of the electrical installation to be protected is less than five times the economic value of the SPD. Well, yep. the SPDs are priced to always be less. So why are we not doing it everywhere in domestic? But I think if it's fair to say there have been lots of... I'm going to go back to my asset management principles. Tribes. There are lots of tribes in the electrical industry and lots of these tribes are commercially driven beasts trying to give the right advice while also being cautious. Um, and it's fair to say when we first started talking about surge protection in the getting ready for the 18th edition stuff, mm. nobody really quite knew what it was about unless you worked for the Danes or the Kirsties of surge protection, who this is bread and butter. And then to see the wine regulations maybe poorly worded and then electricians who need it very simply put on a plate for us to understand and be brilliant. That's where that allow it to, come in settle down people interpret it understand the nuances of the wordings i mean i'm still at this moment reading um small paragraphs of wording in the regs and in the awr that has that's changed my opinion on stuff you know what we were, i was talking about the other day with the uh, definition of live uh, in yeah, and charged and charged and it explicitly removes the word uh, the, the pen conductor which, which I think is very, very deliberate. And you wouldn't notice it unless you were looking for it. Mm. Um, so I think this is just one of them things that over time we have to understand and realize. But for a domestic installer, do we need to understand the flash density map? I think an awareness that it's there, yes. Oh, the flash density map, yes, mm. for lightning. But obviously when you think about the railways as well, uh, absolutely, but little things like that. I always look at the railways as, as, as a 24-7 storm. Mm. to be perfectly frank so protection against transient voltages is is a constant in rail um i think that's fairly evident to be perfectly frank i'm sure there's a <coughs> some information that will come out before christmas on that you go back to that picture that Kirsty put together certainly sorry okay. yeah. i just wanted to just case just for completeness of youtube and people here obviously yes. so, so Kirstie, you've, you've explained obviously that there's no evidence of overhead lines so with regards to the risk assessment you're saying it's all underground and you're saying it's up to 1,000. Can we just explain where this 1,000, uh, what, what, what's that, what that's about, please? Sorry, still muted. I've got some people asking about my math and I'm pretty sure I'm right. I'm a nerd about oh, Ignore the people in chat if it comes to math. Yeah, let me read that because I've just seen 134 messages on my screen. <laughs> 
I'm just getting back to my regs page. One second. So, oh, regs say. Let me write. I, I agree with some of the chat here. Sorry, Kirsty. Um, I was just going to say I agree with some of the chat about hiding standards behind paywalls doesn't help because we are limited in our understanding and knowledge from the industry bodies that give us what they want us to understand. And, and I think it's fair to say that there was some, when arc fault detection was introduced, there was industry bodies that would stand up at their events and say, yeah, arc fault, you don't need it in front of the manufacturers. When in actual fact, that's not the professional way to act. The professional way to act is we need to understand the emergence of arc fault technology and where best you can select and erect it to enhance protection for your um, end client but we need to understand all that we now know we need to understand every manufacturer and how they have interpreted the product standard for arc fault and it's the exact same research we need to we need to emerge and develop our knowledge so that we can give the best information for electricians or at least allow them to access it without having to pay 486 quid for a standard sorry kirsty over to you no problem i just want to explain my math a little bit here Certainly. so um, I have written rural urban environment and number 850. Um, that was because I was working with a few different um, images before I use this one. It is actually an urban environment and it is 850. So that is correct. When you go a kilometre, so because we can't see any overheads, um, it's one click concealed. You're putting your one in, it's LPCL. So there's no factor for it. So it literally is LP equals one. the two there is is that's the factor you use if it's an overhead line um so it's just one that's that's all it yeah, is um so when you come through i think that's what's thrown people is that two there but that's just a factor that you times it by if it was an overhead line. no they need to read the formula in the regulations the uh two is applied to lbal <laughs> yeah the key there is that it's two yeah. times l pal and l pal yeah, is zero. there's no l pal here Two times zero is, of course, zero, yeah. and the same for the others because the other ones are also zero. So it's 0 0.4 times zero and 0 0.2 times zero. So it's all zeros, and then you're just left with one, which is your sort of default one kilometer length there. So. And this one kilometer is because? Um, that's what they decided it was going to be in the regs. Um, no, basically, <laughs> it's because if you're working with, um, when you're working with your um, DNO, um, any further than sort of one kilometre away, they say it will be earthed or going through a local sub where it'll have a transformer. Um, so chances are it will be earthed at that point. Again, mm. when we're looking at if we were looking at a stroke, by the time it had come any further than that underground, it would have um, dissipated quite significantly if it was on the um, cable installation. Is that fact or an assumption without me saying assumption too many times in this webinar? Um, I don't know who did the math for this um, calculation and this was obviously come from the standard Um I personally wouldn't have used one kilometre I'd have used two because that's the length I, that we know that lightning stroke will flow through um, and one kilometre is what they decided so I'm just yeah, yeah I'm just working with their their math okay corner said stand down you're right <laughs> Um, interestingly enough as well, I think we covered this in our podcast as well. If, if anyone is responsible for advising a building owner and it's a commercial or industrial property, one of the, one of the biggest things as well with, with surge protection and lightning protection systems as an integral part of the building services is the amount of fire risk assessments. Somebody mentioned it in here in the chat about fire risk assessments. Most of them don't identify um, the lightning protection 
configuration as a potential source of ignition, which it is. Um, so it's again, quick sense check for people if you are working in building management or advising building managers, maybe ask to see some fire, when, if you're doing anything on surge or lightning protection systems, maybe ask if you can see the fire risk assessments, see if there's any mention because then that could possibly improve how coordinated they are. They'll probably won't be, they'll probably be a complete shambles, but it's always nice to ask and show you're being diligent and thoughtful and all the rest of it. I'm a little bit behind in the chat. I've just seen Cam and a couple of others say that there was no mention of surge on their 239152. Kirsty, have you ever been asked by a training company to write some content for their 2391 or to help them understand it, to deliver it to electricians in training? So I don't know what 2391 is. What the inspection what and testing. It's the inspection and testing one. No. No, so I've never been asked to do that. I did um, NAPIT's training organisation, Premier Training that NAPIT own. I designed their lightning protection course, so that is City and Guild's thingied. Accredited um, programme. Accredited. Yeah, I designed that, um, but no, I've never been asked by any other training organisations to mm. do anything, although they, they really should start adding them sort of things. Um, mm. Is it especially, fair to say... I mean, I know it's a separate conversation, but apprentices are coming through and know nothing about surge protection now. Yeah. And it's in our regs. It's something we use day to day. This is one of the reasons why we, we, we tried to focus. Obviously, this year has been a complete blowout, but we tried to focus our energy on the colleges and the learning centres to try and help them because there was evidently a need for the, the lecturers who were very hungry for, for information and content. I mean, well, I did my 18th edition and the lecturer skipped over pretty much surge protection arc fault detection uh, completely i ended up covering that bit for him which was very strange because even i was there to learn from him um one of the statements that i saw earlier on was oh well we're waiting for the ecl the nic to inform us and then they did their road shows and just said oh you don't need this or you don't need that and the reason they do it is because they're faced with five six hundred people going oh i don't need this 20 odd years la 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 and rather than saying sit down wind your goddamn neckings shut the fnl up yeah We've got new modern equipment connected into really old crappy installations. We've got new detection systems, which can now mutually interact. The rules of the game have changed. We're not doing enough of that when we're going and doing these seminars. Well, we did. We did it at Alex last year, didn't we? We basically grabbed a mic and was virtually rapping to everybody in, in um, Ali Pali. But the industry needs to be a bit more sterner and stronger when we speak, not rude, but much more uh, informed when we're speaking to Sparks, say this is our limits of our knowledge, this is what we understand, <laughs> this may help you, but your journey of continuous learning, it's not gonna stop now, especially with the, the way the technology is operating and smart homes and all the other good things that are out there. We're having to consider the selection far more. Before we go on to the next bit, yep. there's just one bit, Daniel Casey has put in the uh, chat about this, this calculation, which seems to be getting bogged down as calculations mm -hmm. usually do um just regarding page 103 about the distribution lengths that are unknown um yeah it does say that if the distribution lengths are unknown or partially unknown then l pal shall be taken as equal to the remaining distance to reach total length of one kilometer now the example in there is that says yes that if she said it was underground 100 meters then l pal would be 900 the remainder now, the calculation we've got here we've assumed that the underground cable is one kilometer and therefore the remaining up to a kilometre is zero. And that's why we've got in this particular example, L power being zero. But yeah, if you had say 200 metres of underground cable, yeah. then you would assume that the rest of it was 800 metres. So. L power is just not applicable because there is no overhead. Is that correct? Yeah. Mm. 
So uh, in this case, it's because we've got one meet, we've got a kilometre of underground cable, <laughs> so there is no LPAL in this particular example. But there because, you are, it's just a calculation that you're probably never going to use, and it doesn't tell you a lot anyhow, <laughs> and in reality, it's something you shouldn't be getting bogged down in and getting uh, too concerned over. So uh, I think we should move on. Oh, to you not do this formula much? Please, um, I call these um, installations, like I've highlighted on here, the unicorn installations, if anyone's done any training with me, um, because I don't actually think there is if any in the UK, I would be quite surprised, installations that don't fall under the regulations where you have to install surge protection or at least have a circuit that must have surge protection or is not domestic. I mean, this risk assessment is for only for all other cases. So mm. there is no point in getting too bogged down mm. about the whole thing. Um, in it would just be easier if they just ripped it off, wouldn't they, and got rid of it? it completely. You know, completely. So, so, much, so, much, so many brain cells are being wasted Try and understand a formula that really you're never going to use, and by the time you've concluded your formula, you've put more manpower the issue is, into, you... and you could have put an SPD. Mm. You know, yeah. I think the issue is as well. You had your sort of your NAPITs, your your NICs of the world, your ECAs. When this come out, they were like, do you know what? We're going to show everyone how to do this risk assessment, and they they honed in on the maths, and they were like, we're going to look so clever showing everyone how to do it. And they completely missed the sentence at the top. There's for all other cases. Yeah. Do the risk assessment. Mm. Everyone loves the formula. You're yeah. right. People people started this journey with here's a massive risk assessment, and that's it. And it was actually no 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 no. The risk assessment is there in specific specific requirements. So would it be best advice maybe for everyone to get a bit of paper, glue it over that regulation, and just put put in an SPD? Domestic, yeah, that, would definitely be the answer. that would probably be best. <laughs> yeah, if domestic, yeah, just, just put in an SPD. Yeah, I mean, just just always make make sure when you're looking at things that you read the full bit. Don't just read the line about the risk assessment, um, because I mean, page 101 where you've got your regs, your four four. Um, there's the bit about the risk assessment, but if you read the entire paragraph and bit at the top about the risk assessment, it actually says, except for single dwelling units. So the risk assessment is not relevant for single dwelling units. It's just people don't read the whole paragraph. They just pick the bit out they want. Yeah. Um, Sean has quite rightly pointed out, as I said before, it's only for atmospheric origin installation and damages, not surges and transients. Yeah, and Richard yep. Harrison's put in the comments that um, he was at Chesterfield or training centre there and asked whether the training centre itself had an SPD fitted and he was told that they'd done the calculation and it wasn't needed but as you said put, because it's a college it comes under the one of the four indents anyway which states it should be fitted so yeah. again the calculation was completely irrelevant waste of time no point doing it yeah they probably thought there's a sub on campus yeah yeah well, away we go we'll be fine mm-hmm um, so moving on, um, this is, if you are doing the risk assessments, is quite a nice little um, a map to have access to. It's in published document 62305-2. I think it needs updating because it, it's fair to say at the start of the year, I was down in the big toe of Britain doing some talks. And then when this slide came up, one of the blokes shouted, "Not um, oh, well, that's handy. Uh, and I was just like, "All oh, right, yeah, okay, good point." I'm in the one part of the country talking about this where it's 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 pretty low. 
Um, so this is a this is definitely a map that's worth considering. I think it's it's in the rigs, isn't it? It's a black and white version. Yeah. It is. And um, I just jump in, although, oh. yes, they will have been very happy that right down there, it looks very low on that map. In fact, although they don't get many lightning flashes, because they're coming off the sea, they actually have a lot of storms. So mm. a lot of it will be happy to get lightning cloud to cloud rather than it physically hitting the ground. Most installations down there um, are actually fed by overheads. So if you've got storm activity, your overheads will pick that up, although it's not a direct strike. It will pick up that. It's still oh. of atmospheric origin. So there's yeah. a difference between a strike and a stroke. Interesting. So we need a storm density map. We do. Oh. Um, this was obviously um, uh, a slide we put in that was trying to show it a little bit clearer, but I think we can probably... Here is mustard, mate. Yeah. yeah. I think we've done that to death a few yeah. times. Already, so. <laughs> I think we've done that. So <laughs> just for on. everyone, there you go. La, 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 la. You can screenshot that if you want that. It's all good. If you really um, want to do it, you can, but don't bother. So, so we, were kind of, we were trying to work backwards, but we've kind of already done it, really, which was when do we have to do the risk assessment protection against shall be provided where there is serious injury, loss of human life. It's very cleverly worded. Interruption of public services, damage to cultural heritage. You know, are, are colleges public services? Are railways? Is there potential damage to persons and human life? Is there interruption of commercial? It's, it, that, that reg to me covers every goddamn thing. I mean, I'd college. love someone in the chat to tell me what it doesn't cover. Mm. Yeah, the college example is obviously C because interruption of commercial activity. So if Indeed. the college gets blown up, they mm. can't do any training. I mean, commercial, like, commercial industrial activity is relative to nearly every client, isn't it? If, if it's a business that's going to make money or a business that's going to manufacture. Yeah. It's that, I mean, other than cost and maybe um, reconfiguration of, of switchgear, is there a negative to SPDs other than that? No, not from a not no, not from a technical standpoint in any way. I mean, if you were in the lucky case where you didn't actually have much surge activity, you didn't have transients on your installation, then it wouldn't cause any damage, and the device doesn't do anything other than protect you against that sort of thing. So it would only ever react when it needed to. So your decision is only really reflecting on cost. That's the only negative to this, isn't it? There's no, there's well, nothing else. There is, there is. So there what is an is argument there? here. So for me, for instance, I'm as as we are well aware, as a little team that I am currently about to be replacing um, lots of surge protection devices, and and on some of them, it will involve reconfiguring the installation because a lot of old existing commercial, and let's just broaden mm -hmm. it out, commercial installation shops, re, there may not be space. To That's fit just cost, though, isn't it? That's space for you switch gear. It, it is but but at the end of the day if you're an if you're an electrical contractor and you're going in there and there are regulations that talk about the lengths of the conductors and you're trying your best to achieve the lengths of the conductors which i think is recommended 500 mil maximum a meter um if you're trying to achieve that and you can't achieve that because you're retrofitting onto an existing installation then you're kind of slightly buggered because if if you then go and do a best endeavors fit and then you're inspected by your NIC engineer and he comes along with his measuring tape and goes, no, that's not compliant. Mm. I think David Savory did a very good video where he actually installed a surge protection device and people watching pulled him on the lengths of his conductors and he did a very good uh, corrigendum to his video. Yeah, he was brutally honest with himself. Which, which was, was very great. humbling. And to but watch. You, have to go, you have to ask the question, the information wasn't clear mm. when you read the way it's written in the regulations. It's not, it's not very clear. 
with connecting conductors because it doesn't really speak no, sparky so it doesn't speak sparky no it doesn't speak sparky and it's because i, I genuinely think that wrote this didn't really understand point it in them so i think that's why it doesn't read very well unfortunately hmm. um you have a meter of cable for your installation when you're doing it because as a surge protection device them we have to manufacture them to make sure we're not going to let too much voltage through on a circuit at its maximum capacity so it's its up or it's let through voltage yeah. um up you'll see on the front of your product so in the in our wiring regs it gives us a maximum let through voltage of 2.5 kv mm-hmm. so we assume you're going to use up to a meter of cable so we can calculate that meter of cable as one kv of volt drop so we can use that in our calculations so all our devices will have to be a minimum of a 1.5 kV let through plus your meter of cable with 1 kV will give you your 2.5 kV maximum let through at a maximum strike. Um, so that is why, so with cable longer, you're going to let through more voltage into your installation for a, at a maximum strike, which potentially could cause more damage, essentially bypass the surge device. Mm. And um, you covered that on your videos, didn't you, John, on your little series, like, I think it was episode five or six, where you showed the length of the cables and how the vault drop would occur. Yeah, the length. length thing. I mean, obviously, shorter is better. But again, you've got, there is obviously that one meter thing, which is uh, in there. So if it's, it's not usually that difficult to get it below that distance. I mean, obviously, there are going to be circumstances where it's not that certainly for the smaller types and domestic ones, then it's really not going to be an issue unless you've for some reason, put your surge protection device in a separate box and then put a load of extended leads going halfway across the room to it or something. So, uh, yeah, it, I think, I think, I think the drawings themselves are, are confused solutions because they have that. What's the name of that? There's that other earth bar, isn't there? That, that, in that, what's that called? Oh, yeah, moving the earth bar. Yeah, you move the earth bar. So, a lot of electricians get confused there, but a lot of times that's actually just maybe the metal work of the switch gear as well that that's connected. Yeah, so that's usually the easiest way to make yeah. your shorter so usually where you're taking your live feed from from your um, overcurrents or generally so you're taking your feeds from there your live cables you can't really get any shorter than close mm. if you know what i mean um but your earth you can do something about it doesn't have to go back to your met it just needs to be a local earth point somewhere you can bond it to as you quite rightly say quite often that is literally the enclosure that it's into as long as that is then bonded back to your met you are absolutely fine mm. um, so you can get it very close There's a question, uh, you've seen that, Kirsty, in the uh, comments, which uh, it says, um, what if an SPD fails closed circuit and gives rise to risk of fire? So surge protection devices are all designed to fail open circuit. So they, they don't fail closed circuit. And if they were, if you had installed them correctly to be S7671, and I'm going to try to not feel a little bit smug about this, um, and you do have an overcurrent device up front, if your device starts to overheat at all, your overcurrent protection device will trip, therefore cutting supply to your overvoltage device, your surge device. Again, another really, really important reason to install an overcurrent protection device. Yeah. Okay. Um, a couple of comments about training, which is good. Uh, I think it's something that we need to look into as well. Yeah, Daniel Casey's put one, which is um, he went to a rental property where the lamps were constantly blowing, and um, recommended an SPD as 
possibly that as there was a big hospital and lots of factories across the road so switching transients from the heavy industry across the road may be a factor i mean if they're led lamps then yeah they could be damaged by that sort of thing and that's just another example of things that people might not think about in the installation as having some sort of value because if all your lights are breaking every week and having to buy new ones well there's a big cost that you don't need to be paying so yeah definitely i have actually seen um some LED lights which were damaged because there was two well there was a whole lot of them there was two next to each other one of them failed due to some internal fault and the whole thing was all blackened on the board inside which so that was obviously an obvious failure and the one next to it failed at the same time but there was no visible damage on that one so fairly likely that the uh, fault that the first one caused which would have caused a big sort of transient on the system probably damaged the one that was directly next to it even though that wasn't visibly damaged it obviously uh, stopped working at the uh, same time as the first one blew up so can i just um just jump in for one second sean you are might be a very lovely gentleman but obviously i do not know you very well and um, you really needed dane to comment the last bit about overprotection. i just want to point out that 534.4.5.1 in the and the first line of it is SPD shall be protected against with respect to short circuit currents. So we have to be very, very careful that yes, some devices are built that they can have a higher overcurrent protection rating than others. We have to be very, very careful. I, in a specific circumstance, it would be very, very unlikely that you would be installing a Dane surge device on a domestic circuit in a domestic circumstance. Um, we've got a rise of very very low cost surge arresters appeared on the market now that you have to be very very careful to what standard they are actually built to now 7671 is a giving you an overview and telling you there should be an overcurrent device upstream purely for the fact that if something goes wrong with a surge protection device that overcurrent there needs to be there as i said to stop that from happening so irrelevant to what different manufacturers have said, if 7671 says there needs to be overcurrent protection, then there needs to be overcurrent protection. If obviously that's not installed, you'd need to be able to explain why. Um, I don't think saying that seeing a YouTube video where they said you don't need overcurrent protection on their devices would be um, relevant. And this is what really annoys me, if would you mind me chipping in here, because I've got, um, and Sean knows this, okay. I've got a brand new board ready to go, a fuse box board ready to go in. And I've got a main switch and I thought I'm going to have my surge protection device next to my main switch because I was considering the short lengths and arresting the um, surge before it gets into my board because I thought that would just be my best practice, my good practice. And of course, at the time I bought the damn thing, it doesn't have MCB protection. And I've spoken to the people that... Um, the device manufacturers and they give you a wishy-washy, oh yeah, yeah, it's fine, it's fine, well, you can use a DNO uh is this the manufacturer that's now providing them with over this is the same manufacturer that is now providing them with mcbs and now mm. i have a main switch <laughs> where i feel like a complete twat because i've got the box i've got it and i'm like oh great it'd be really nice to install that oh no i can't install it because i take the risk because i'm not going to get anything in writing from them i have asked them to release a number of data sheets and a number of various other bits and bobs and it doesn't go very far um, sadly so that to me has burnt me with fuse box a little bit but other than that the rest of the board and everything looks solid as anything but yeah that that has um, annoyed me to say the least 
Mm. I mean, my perspective... I can't tell you why they've changed to suddenly not having one, and then, oh, now we suddenly do, because the actual devices they're selling look exactly the same. <laughs> they do. They probably are. So. I should imagine oh, they just listened to other people and gone, hmm. No, no, I actually got on the phone to their technical guy, and he said um, they had decided to change that to fall in line with the rest of industry. Make of that what you will. Is that fault? That's probably Kirsty's fault. Kirsty, <laughs> you troublemaker. Um, but I yeah. may have wrote the Millennium that um, they may be liable for action if they were not conforming oh. to 7671. Right. Yeah, yeah. No. Um, I mean, we had, we, had, we had Dane on. Obviously, Dane talked about the fact they had internal protection and then they went down the avenue of, oh, well, you can domestic, you wouldn't need it due to other, other characteristics. But... Um, End of the day, manufacturers' requirements are manufacturers' requirements, and if you interpret some things differently, we can't, you know, we can't make you fight to the death to see who actually wins. We have to follow manufacturers' guidance. And um, domestic field is your company and and others. Dane, as you say, aren't really domestic market. And if you recommend this protection, then that's it. No, I, th I think when you go commercial industrial, it, it, the, the field does widen <laughs> quite a bit. And it does, yeah. Very, very specific and specialist um, bits of kit out there, to be honest with you. Um, interesting comment from, um, if I can find it, because there's about another 50 things just appeared on my screen, so it's gone again. It happens. Um, and by the way, yeah, Sean's a bit of a troublemaker, Kirsten. It's fine. Yeah, just ignore Sean. Um, Mark Holmes, do the cables. <laughs> need to be protected for short circuit not just the spd um, where are you reading that from dude i'm reading mark holmes yep um very very good comment uh, uh do the connecting cables also need to be protected for short circuit and not just the spd so i'm assuming from the circuit breaker into the device i'm assuming they need to obviously well, be sized uh, accordingly to carry the maximum value of whatever the breaker is and be protected from a if there ever was a short i'm assuming that um so if oh. they come out sort of the top of a main switch obviously they wouldn't be protected they wouldn't have any sort of overcurrent protection but um coming out of an mcb you would mm. that's a good point actually richard harrison why do some domestic boards have the spd at the end of the db so far away from the main switch i never got that because i was thinking if we're so precious about um, lamps. Maybe I'm just being thick, and uh, but I, I always thought, why do you put the surge protection device all the way to the other side of the board if we're supposed to be measuring the length and we're kind of, or, or are we not including the buzz bar that it connects? That's it exactly. So oh, right. yeah, um, as short, Sean's just put on as well, the buzz bar is negligible impedance, so we count the buzz bar as basically being zero um, you, in length. Mm. Thanks, Sean. Okay, fair enough. I'll shut up then. That's me being stupid again. Um, also, the fact it's a flat bar is rather than a round conductor would have a effect on its inductance, wouldn't it? Perhaps we shouldn't go into that too much at the moment. <laughs> yeah, it's not. Yeah, okay. That's, that's a whole other rabbit hole. Yeah. Thank you, John. <laughs> I was going to say, John, that's podcasts. Uh, I think we're that's episode eighteen <laughs> of the surge detection debate. Uh, Richard says, but it will be further away from the origin. Hmm. Well, it is, but the distance from the origin isn't the relevant distance from the surge protection device. You could have your origin in, in the next building. It's the connecting conductors, isn't it? Yeah, it's yeah. it's from the SPD to the actual um, installation. It's not where the origin or the meter is or anything like that. Because say you yeah. could have that 50 meters away in a cupboard, 
that's irrelevant. It's where you're connecting it to the rest of the stuff that is the point. So. Sean says, can you guys explain the 820 thing without, without, a, without a chart? Um, you want me to give it a go? No. Yes, please. Yeah, go for it. <laughs> so you hear the 820 and the 50. Um, the 10350 is the waveform for a type 1 lightning protection device and an 820 is the waveform for a surge. So now if you imagine this being like a little hump, so the 8 is the front of the waveform, so it takes 8 microseconds to get to the full extent of the surge, it happens very very fast, and it's 20 microseconds for it to dissipate to half, half its life, half like, its energy. Yeah. And this is microseconds. Exactly. So they call it an 820 wave. Yeah. Microseconds. Yeah, microseconds. Very fast. Um, so that's a little bit of energy. So when you're looking, so you've got a little hump, and then when you're looking at a lightning, you've got a 10350. So it's a 10, 10 microsecond wave front. So it top. goes up to 350 very, very quick. And it takes 350 microseconds to get to half of its half life. Mm. So you imagine it's a much bigger waveform can't see my hands mm. much bigger waveform than the um yeah. this is this is sometimes why i've said that sometimes we need to think of spds as a little bit of filtration because you've got a peak but then the let through may still be too much and then you may need to have another one because obviously you know the type one takes that large peak but if it lets through energy that is still too much we have to put another one in there and that's what we may have combined this is why exactly this is why you have combined devices so yeah. i always describe them like a funnel when i'm doing my training so if you imagine a type one will take a massive lightning strike but lets through an awful lot of energy so then you have your type two to catch that to make that smaller and then you have your type three elements take that and make it suitable for end equipment so it sort of filters them through um so usually when you install a type one device it will actually be a type one and three combined unit so for that panel you have all the surge protection you need without installing additional devices. It's only then when you go further into the installation where you'd look at more devices. Yeah, and that's also why people like particularly customers say, oh, I don't need the surge protection in there because I've got this horrible plug-in extension lead inside. <laughs> yeah. That's that's why, because obviously the thing in the extension lead is not going to stop the whole of that energy at the front there. And all that's going to happen is it's going to explode of all the flames and the equipment's going to be damaged anyway. So uh and the same applies for oh my tv's already got one inside on the circuit board well good for that but that's only for the little tiny bit at the end once other devices have done the business so uh, yeah you can't just buy a five quid extension lead and plug it in and all as well so not yeah. Gonna yeah i mean these this again these are microseconds okay they, don't think of milliseconds these are microsecond duration of time nothing else operates as quickly so I remember, I remember having to learn all that back in Amendment 1 when it started coming in. Right. Shall we move on that, to the really controversial if you stuff? Try and imagine, if you try and imagine how fast an RCD reacts, a surge device reacts an awful lot faster than an RCD. Yeah. Yeah. And an RCD is there to stop you getting an electric shock at the end of the day. It's a very integral piece of kit. Um, so if you imagine that's your surge device makes that look slow. Very slow. Yeah, because we look at we look at RCDs with milliseconds, isn't it? This is is it nanoseconds or is that the right microseconds, term? nanoseconds? Yeah, microseconds, mi nanoseconds. microseconds and nanoseconds. And yeah, with yeah. I mean RCDs, the rule of thumb I always had for an RCD was a blink of an eye. Thirty milliseconds of a blink of an eye, but you can't compare the surge protection device, so you can't sit there. Now, interesting. Before we do move on, 
there is a, a rumor, a swell in the industry that you can use test kit to test these devices um, that you could effectively use an insulation resistance tester and go, woo. You make Kirsty face palm, dude. Face palm, Kirsty. Yeah. Um, but can we just be clear here that, that <laughs> as far as I'm aware, there is no device that, um, especially a, a standard, you know, MFT or, 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 you know, kidney bean type tester that can generate a rise in voltage that quick to actually test these devices. No, that's it. I mean, the thing is, in theory, every tester, no matter how old it is, can do this. Mm -hmm. If you can put 500 volts through a surge arrestor, which we will do when you do your IR testing, yeah. you can make your surge device activate. That must mean it works then, surely. And you'll be able to see, yeah, so you'll be able to put an <laughs> earth, you, if you connected up the earth clamp, you could put an earth clamp mm. around the, um, the earth on the surge device and you could see it work. Yeah. If you tested it at 250, then the surge device wouldn't work. So technically you can do it. Mm -hmm. One, I wouldn't recommend it because you are degrading your surge device as you're doing it. Yeah. Um, another the morbid curiosity, I'm not really sure why, you, why you'd want to do it. Yeah, I agree. Um, but yeah, yeah, these surge devices are all built. I mean, they're built to 61643-11. So that's their testing thing. They all have to have status indication. Mm -hmm. So a surge device has to tell you if it's working or not. So you don't really have to be able to test it. And that, that's one of the, the key, I think one of the things that's kind of stifled the debate as to whether they, people adopt it, because as electricians, everybody likes to see something work. You know, we, we inspect and test the installation, we measure earth loop impedances and fault currents, and we ensure that there's functional switching of devices and we can prove the RCD works, which is great. And now here's this, this new device and there's no show and tell. Now, yes, the guys in the chat are absolutely right, David Savory and a number of other people um, have um, uh, they have shown it on their videos that you can actually get a reading from your device. That's just again, forcing the device, the device to do forcing something. The device to That's do not something. verifying the device actually operates as required. As required. The frequency is now your representative. Exactly. Yeah, I mean, I did that in a video just as a to demonstrate that 250 isn't there effectively, and then if it's 500 above, it, it is there, and therefore it conducts. But to say that's not actually testing that the device is doing its thing that's just a demonstration as to how the basic principle of these things is so it's like verifying an overcurrent device will trip by shorting something out it doesn't yeah. verify it's going to work at the requirement it's designed to meet yes yeah you're, you're effectively forcing something to occur aren't you mm -hmm. and you're not going to for the fact of the matter is you're never going to attain the voltage that could appear because it's an unknown quantity isn't it the end of the day if you have a stroke or a a surge it, that voltage could be of any number of ranges of volt thousands of volts you don't know this is to me a fit uh, passive device that will tell you if it's working or not if you start megaring it i think then yeah fair enough we're inquisitive and i'm sure every spark under the sun will mega it and maybe have one in their glove box that they can show the apprentice fine but the principle is, is it's a fit and it does its job as and when it needs to, well, what, and it will tell you when it's failed. You said you're right. I mean, sparse are inquisitive, and if we see a device, <clears> we want to make it function. We want to make yep. it do something. And with SPDs, all we can do is force it with 500 volts, but yeah, I mean, it if, doesn't if it verify it. Get a cheap one from somewhere, like some imported thing, and just play about with it and see how it works. But it's so, like a couple spare. Yeah. If you're going to fit them, don't do that on ones you're installing. Right. There's no point, and also, obviously, it could cause some damage. So yeah. That's why they have the, That's uh, it. I mean, somebody's just asked there, um, when would you need to change a surge arrestor? And the, this implant is when it tells you it needs changing. 
Um, as I said, these devices all have indication. You don't need to change them if the indication isn't indicating that you need to change them, basically. So as an electrical inspector, if I see an SPD, what decisions can I make? Or what decisions should I make? Is it just about suitable selection? Is it about the right type, connection method? Or do I just say, oh, status is okay, move on? In your so view, on, in my view, yeah. um, I would be looking at it. You know your eggs on Oh, I heard Alexa or something Alexa, like that. Yeah, Alexa started talking <laughs> on my phone. I apologise. <laughs> no I was just checking it wasn't anything to do with me. Um, I would be, you know your regs on surge protection. You know you can't have too many too long cables. I would be looking, making sure the cables weren't reasonably long. Um, I would be checking the device indication to say that actually it's on and it's working and it's got power going to it. Um, and then I'd just be, I'd have a look, I'd have a think about it. I mean, if you do some basic training on surge protection, I mean, I offer free webinars all the time for anyone that wants to jump on. Um, there's only two instances where you'd need a type one, and that's if you've got an overhead line feed in the building, or you've got an external lightning protection system. So they're both where you've got a direct strike that can come into an installation. So if you, if you know that, and you know the building's got an LPS system, you go in and say, do you know what, that's a type two, then you can code it as that, you, you know that that's not correct. Um, but if you don't know and you, you don't really want to learn any more about surge protection, the basic thing you can do is go in and make sure it's working. Um, I think that's all that's required on the um, test sheet at the moment. It's literally it is, I think, it's just verifying its status, I think. In terms of an LCR, exactly. I mean, you're going to do the same things you would do for any other circuit or device. You're going to be looking at the size of the conductors, that they're connected correctly and they're not sort of missing loose hanging out burnt chopped in half and insulation missing and all the all the things you would normally do anyway for anything else that's part of the installation so most of it is what people are doing anyhow so i think i think um, um <clears throat> excuse me um daniel casey made a comment he's he said blank company demonstrated their unit at um, testing the SPD at LX called Verista testing function, if I remember rightly. Yes, there are companies that, that, that actually market um, their devices as testing surge protection, but it's just as dumb as saying this is a Part P compliant piece of test kit. You're missing the point. You don't want to be blasting this thing with your voltages. You want it to sit there and do what it's designed for the atmospheric or, or, or stroke voltages that could occur uh, and that can, can do its job properly rather than you blasting it 50,000 times. You need to remember it's those testers are only limited by yeah, the mains or they're limited by the battery power. They cannot mm -hmm. represent the frequency, um, just the, the rate of change, of the magnitude of that. Uh, you can't achieve that, especially in something that's on your bench uh, like that. Um, Daniel remembers JW's video um, on the SPDs. What a bag of crap that was. It was, yeah. it was utter rubbish. Yeah, it was, and that one was imported directly from China, and it was basically the cheapest one I could find, knowing for a while we'd have to destroy it, take it apart, and whatever. So that's why it was such poor quality, because it was getting exactly what we paid for, basically. It cost about, I think it was £4 for two of them, or something ridiculous like that. So, yeah. yeah. Mark? Yeah, sorry. Sorry, Mark has asked, can the SPD have a buzzer built in to indicate failure, not just the flag or light? Mm. It's a very, so very valid question. Um, we do a type three device, so one that's designed to go at the end of a circuit behind like a socket, or if you can't see it, they will have audible alarms in them, like buzzers. Um, ones that go in panels don't have that, but they all have a remote contact, so there's no issue you wiring an alarm to it 
you can always wire an alarm to it or wire it to a building management system Any where they can do more complex system. thing. Exactly. Yeah. Um, but yeah, just even a basic alarm contact would be absolutely fine. So it would let you know the device needs changing. We have devices now all the way through our range from domestic through um, to your massive industrial devices all have remote contact. It's yeah, not that, too much of a bother could be to be as in. simple as a battery and a little buzzer wired to the two contacts and when they close it makes a noise. So mm. yeah very simple exactly. or obviously to the more complex end so. I, I have actually suggested to um, a couple of manufacturers that it would be really good if there could be like a little LED light on the outer casing of the boards or somewhere on the board that just lights up or flashes or blinks if the surge protection device is on its way out or is blown just to uh, you know try and attract the, the homeowner this is for the domestic boards the homeowners attention oh what's that mean and there's maybe a little sticker or label mm. around it that says spd replace that that i think would be quite cool just just a just an idea i'm sure loads of blokes on this <laughs> that idea as well before, before you go on to this um ev question i want to just ask a question um to kirsty um i'm right in the middle of um assisting father watts he's probably gone he's probably gone to bed now um 7909 is events, temporary events industry. And we were talking about surge protection in the event industry <clears throat> and just the lack of consideration. Uh, have you heard anything or have you have any, had any involvement in SPDs being adopted into events and things like that or in distro? Um, I've given them my two pennies worth, but <laughs> that's about it. Um, I mean, if you consider um, temporary events, so because it's temporary, they don't consider having to have surge protection as standard hmm. if you consider that you could have a field full of people at a festival a temporary hmm. event where all the tvs are actually that are designed around the installation are actually used for um, emergency evacuation procedures so they'll direct yes. you to the nearest point things like that yep. now if they have a nearby lightning strike or even a direct strike which could happen if they're middle in the middle of a field that would take out their entire a fire management system yep and it could cause carnage i mean aside from the fact most of these people are kind of going to be drunk and whatever else they'd have no emergency evacuation procedures because it would actually take they're all electrical um so for me i think it should definitely be considered in event systems and temporary temporary events definitely is this not raise an issue that i think daniel and a few other people have finding on their journey of standards when you start looking at standards there is a a, a a disassociation and overlap and overlay and underlay whatever you want to call it where you can look at the latest requirements 7671 then look at 7009 and go well there's a gap or you can look at a star i mean i was reading a standard today that referred to i think it was amendment one of the 17th edition which is kind of one of the dangers when you reference another standard i i personally don't believe in referencing what the addition and revision is you just say refer to that standard latest edition mm. at least it buys you some time for that person to apply their engineering judgment rather than oh i've got to look at that past standard which sometimes does happen um but yeah shall we should we look at the controversial stuff now because go for it um i think it's fair to say and let's just throw some knowledge out there i, I probably should have put it in a slide and apologies for not there has been a recent investigation from the department for transport into ev uh, installs uh, and there was a public report that was issued on their website I'm sure we can probably provide it um, and there was also a letter from the Department for Transport um, which um, was from the government minister 
telling you, I think there was a, I can't remember the top of my head, but it was a percentage of installs that were done non-compliant. And so the government minister was writing to the OLEV registered installer saying, please get your act together. Um, the same could be said with EV in general, um, including maybe the standards and requirements around it. So my question to you, Kirsty, is um, electric vehicles, um, given all the issues we're focusing on OPEN, um, this was asked of me a while ago and it, it, I had to think about it. Do you believe um, that EV vehicles need surge protection? Yes, without a doubt. So even before we consider the open, right, so before we start looking at that technology, yeah, you are, yeah, you are just basically allowing voltage into your installation. So when you've got your ACDC transition to be able to have your phone with your car charger, um, that will leak voltage onto your electrical system. So you're going to be essentially importing voltage into your installation. So no matter what installation that is. And then if we go down the route of the open stuff, where you have very, very sensitive electronic equipment trying to make sure that you do, that's there to notify and disconnect if you lose your neutral. But that technology itself is very, very sensitive. So that technology needs protecting against surgery. Uh, well, that technology cancer. needs protection. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so it's just exacerbating the gap between our electrical systems and the technology we're using. It's just another example of why surge protect coming so relevant in today's society so just a quick one on this then um i think it's fair to say a couple of months ago we went down the rabbit hole of looking at the complexities of um electric vehicles and the the offerings and the the standards and the uh, our instagram page has got pictures of all the different committees that deal with cars and the various components and parts of it and we did find in one of the more recent ev charging standards it was very clear i think i put it on instagram where it did actually state i'm, I'm not going to look at my phone and do it at the same time but it did act there was a statement in one of the bsen standards for ev charging that surge protection devices should be provided but it doesn't seem to have worked its way into our rigs yet um the way it's considered in the regs is that the relevant parts of 443 should apply so anywhere where you have open technology yeah. realistically that comes under life safety certs if you apply 443 correctly to it mm -hmm. so if you you're using open technology you should have a surge device but it does not actually state that in the it's it doesn't say in the ev section so you've got to again apply your knowledge of the regs and you've got to know them regs to be able to do that there's nothing in 722 that refers to 44 no there's not 4534 and that is what I, I requested for this to occur. Um, I'm, I'm hoping it's something in the future that will, will happen. In but fairness, in fairness. Waters, as we've already discussed it. 560.6, electrical sources for safety services. Uh, generator sets independent of the normal primary cells, storage batteries. Um, there is definitely specialist requirements for safety services having sources capable of operation in parallel. Um, there's plenty of stuff uh, the references and kind of drifts around it, but nothing on surge. It's the, it's the choose your own adventure, isn't it? It's you stitch those parts of the regulations together. Nah, because what you, what you'll end up is exactly what the DFT have written to uh, thousands of EV installers saying, please go back and fix your installations. Um, guys, That's it. I mean, if you speak to an EV charging manufacturer, these EV charge point manufacturers, and even at some point the car manufacturers, um, they will tell you that their technology should be protected against surge protection. 
but it will be on some very small writing somewhere, the same as you get it now on some LED lighting manufacturers putting their warranties at the warranties void if there's no surge protection upstream. It's all there. It's just people don't talk about it. Does the vehicle um, connecting set not have SPD integrated protection by default? No, 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 it doesn't. Yeah, Richard Harrison in the comments has put, can the car electrics be damaged by surges from the house? And the answer is yes, they can. And for those that don't know, your home or your typical home charger, all it's doing is providing 230 volts AC to your car. So if you get something that's damaging stuff in your house and your car has to be plugged in as well, then yeah, it's going to damage the equipment in your car. Because when you're charging on AC, the actual charging unit that actually charges the batteries with DC is in the car itself. In the car, it's in the car by then. Yeah. The thing on the wall is literally just basically a contactor and a couple of other bits to switch it on and off that just turns on 230 volts to the car. And then the car is what's doing the actual charging the batteries and determining what rate of charge and whether the batteries are full empty and all the other stuff. So in that regard, the car is just like any other appliance in your house. And I don't know what Tesla charged to repair their vehicles, but if, it, say, the charger on your Tesla was blown up, I can't imagine it's going to be 100 quid to fix it somehow. So, yeah, you certainly should be considering that. And the only difference then is if you get into, like, the fast chargers, those are DC, and that is where the, the charger unit, which is usually one of those massive big pedestal things, that is actually putting DC direct into the car. So that's slightly different. But certainly in your house, you're not going to have one of those. So... Um, yeah, your car is like your television. It plugs in and gets two thirty volts into it. So, um, just on on top of that as well, there is a. Um, this is more for probably for the Daniels. This world, um, there is a standard you don't have, Daniel. BSEN IEC six one eight five one one two thousand nineteen, which is part one. There's many parts of it. Um, an electric vehicle conductive charging system. When we were doing our research and melting our brains, we realised there were lots and lots of BSEN standards. Um, regarding wireless transfer and um, EV charging leads and all sorts of stuff. But yeah, when we actually started getting down down to it, um, we realized that there was uh, there was a common theme. And I think at the time, I think I actually probably screenshotted it and sent it to you guys as well. I just need to dig out the claws, but I haven't got time here. So maybe we'll, um, maybe we'll put these into the Discord later on or tomorrow yeah. or something where we find all these. We've also got to consider, obviously, we've got our four points where we have to put it in, and one of them is public service, loss of a public service. So if it is a public EV charge point, it also falls under that as well. Yeah. Yeah, you really can't get away from those four points, which cover 99.9% .9 of everything, and what's left over is pretty much nothing so uh yeah you, it's so, inevitable that surge protection is going to be required in so let, let me get let me get back to the point of this coding then um okay so i think we're all agreed um that there is an interpretation of 7671 so dave can you run a poll please and and just just for shits and giggles um, it'd be really interesting if people went into a domestic house now and they saw an ev charger point because we know people are using socket outlets and all sorts wrongly and various other you know extension leads but it'd be really interesting if somebody did have an ev charger and there wasn't surge protection at all would you code it and what would that code be right, so no surge protection at all yeah okay let's be controversial <clears throat> or let's just speak the truth as <laughs> a side issue if your car electric car was damaged by a surge would your car insurance cover the repairs Oh, John. Ah, I don't know, because that would be seen as electrical damage, not as a... Yeah. Mm. Very good question. So let's, let's see what people are going to say. 
I'd love to know what goes on in your brain, John. I would love to know what goes on in John's brain. (laughs) Tom would like to know what goes on in John's Mm. brain. That's what it does. You hear it now, it goes, hmm. That's what. (laughs) In all all fairness, that's all you get back from John many times. I've always imagined it to be something like Willy Wonka's Chocolate Factory, a place of amazing, amazing (laughs) things. Or the music. Oh, yeah, every time. Comes into my head. Yes, old Father Watts is still in the chat and has put um, so 10 to 20 k's worth of electrical equipment in the car, which could be completely destroyed. No brainer, surely. Must install the social <laughs> Well, there you go. So as per well, it took, it, I mean, it took Kirsty less than half a second to go, yes, when we asked her if electric vehicles needed 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 this protection. She didn't dawdle, she didn't think no. about it. <laughs> so, it's I'm exactly hoping. the same. You know, how many solar systems do we have installed on installations, PV systems? And again, you've got exactly the same thing, except the difference is you've struck a piece of metal to your roof. Um, yes, if you are doing any sort of inversion, there should be a surge device involved. Mm. Okay, 76% have voted, so that's really, really good. There we go. 64%. 64% have gone C3. Oh, we're nervous. We're all nervous. This is a new way of thinking, <laughs> yeah. new way of coding. 60, uh, 28% went C2. And 3% went sod it C1. Well, that's just yeah. Sean, isn't it? Going C1 happy or your dad. That's probably Father Watts. sees the C1. Father Watts. Um, it's interesting because this is the whole point of these webinars is to expand our way of thinking. Yeah, and we and never say it's it this and you're wrong. We're, everybody's right because everyone's applying their engineering judgment here. Yep. And that's the whole point of putting these on YouTube so they can watch back and see where we make errors and mistakes, but we're all human. Um, I can see this being a thing, Kirsty. In the next five to 10 years, I think eventually with hopefully the wine regulations committees leveling themselves up a bit and and providing better clarity, I can see this being, if you want that expensive technology um, where there is risks, you need to have the appropriate, again, I always say this, the appropriate selection erection. And for anyone who wants to know, PDIECTR62305 is used a wonderful term that I keep using availability of the protective measure. When you're selecting and erecting, what is the protective measure? If we don't know what those protective measures are, we're kind of, we're, we're just falling at the first hurdle, aren't we? Yeah. yeah that's Steve, why, I mean, that's why 7671 is in that order. Yeah. Steve's yeah. got a good in the comments says, um, what happens if the householder says they do not want surge protection? Even after you explain to them what search protection devices are for, well, don't explain it and put it in. <laughs> the thing is that if it's required, then it's required. It's not something you can not have because you just don't like it. And it's the same as if the customer said, "Oh, I don't want RCDs on any of my circuits." I mean, too bad. They're needed, guess, so get over it. So, I guess yeah. this is the point: is SPD really a consideration we can offer the client, or should we actually have it implemented in design with our observations yeah. as yes. electricians? I think it needs to be selected and erected accordingly. Part of the you know? design, like the rest of the installation. So yep. you can't have customers saying, oh, I don't want insulation on my wires. I'd like to have bare mm. copper wires strung across the ceiling. I mean, it's <laughs> not happen, is it? So oh. if it's needed, it's needed. So from my point of view, the what NAPIT and NIC, of, um, what I've heard them telling people as you know they tell people an awful lot of things um is essentially that because we've got that get out in the book that spd installation yeah because we can can omit it the client doesn't want it they don't have to have it fitted 
the electrician then get it signed to say they have recommended it, they've done their due diligence type thing. Um, but I'd say if there's open technology being used, then that would push it into actually you have to have that fitted, even if it is only for the EV charge point. Mm -hmm. I think as soon as you're getting customers or clients to start signing things to say they didn't want something and they're going to accept liability for this and that, that is a very dangerous route to be going down definitely. and something you should definitely avoid um, because in the end, who's going to prove who signed what and when, and it's just a big pile of mess you're creating for in the future. And certainly for domestic, bearing in mind the cost of the thing you're talking about is very small in the scheme of installing whatever they're having installed. So yeah, it's, it's not, it's not something that's optional. It's either needed or it's not needed. And if it is needed, it goes in. And if the customer doesn't want to pay for it, well, they don't get the, they can go to someone else who uh, is going to do a crap job and bother to do other stuff as well. So, yeah. so okay. Perfect. On, on this one, yep, 63% C3, C2, which is great for, I think this is the first time we've discussed this in a public forum anyway, which is good. Um, it is. This debate will continue to merge and develop. Other people will join the debate. Some people will frown. Some people will sneer. Some people will laugh. Mm. Some people are some people at times. What can you do? Um, but yeah, 63%, I think there is an issue here. And it's fairly evident EV is still... This is one of the reasons, John, I haven't gone and done my EV charging course yet. It's because I'm waiting for... I'll be honest with you, I'm waiting for a few amendments of the... Rate the book's going to have a fifth version. Hey. Do you think the book's going to have a fifth version, the code of practice? Probably. Probably. Definitely, I think. Yeah. The course at the moment is already out of date because the actual questions... The you did the course three weeks ago. Yeah, this was like two weeks ago, and the questions are based on the third edition and not the fourth edition, because oh, they haven't updated it yet. So, yeah. I blame I'll be impressed industry. if they stop at five. Mm. Yeah, I blame the training industry, Dave. But um, so anyway, right. So, so do I. We're, we're putting so some coding in. So let's go for the next really controversial thing because this is about expanding our thought processes and in inspectors. So there is the potential, and I think we're all in agreement. There is uh, the option to code because we code against requirements and regulations. Mm. So let's go. Um, oh, there we go. In fact, there's a little insert. Uh, I think we put this on our Instagram page, but. According to HSE statistics, each year there are around 400 reported incidents of broken pens, uh, protective air for neutral combines. I think you can see the pictures. We've done that to death on TNCS, also known as PME, with around 10% of these causing an electric shock. When the pen conductor is broken, the neutral voltage can rise with respect to true earth and the protective uh, forms part of the return path for any current that can flow. Hence the last part of last week's webinar mm. um, and also our commercial one where we showed you some pictures. Uh, for an EV car charger, this means that the body of the car forms the return path, presenting a real risk that anyone touching the car will get an electric shock. And this is why the 18th edition of the Warren Regulations tightened up under deep breath 72241141. I don't do the dots anymore. It's a lot easier. Um, on the installation of EV charging points for domestic installation. Um, Kirsty, what's your, what's your view on this? Oh, there we go. Um, my view if there's if you're using that technology open technology then you should be using a surge device that yeah. technology itself needs protecting um, I don't think there's any way of getting away for the fact it is a risk to life if you lose that technology I think it's I think it's fair to say that I think with EV and this is just my personal opinion there is more debate more knowledge more understanding because whereas the principles of running a supply out to anything have never changed 
the implementation use of different technologies is making it a little bit more how do we understand the full system it's like with arc fault john we were talking about this the other day some arc fault detection does liner neutral some may not mm. so the principle of arc fault detection is well what do i actually know what i'm getting protected or do i just have a rule of thumb in my head well, so we saw we saw that with the devices themselves didn't we when mm, they were we first did. being moved into single module we saw a few questionable ones that were claiming yeah. and then we are we even asked the manufacturers are there any compromises and some went no some went Mm, yes. you know yeah it's small so. we've had to compromise and one of them is a single module which doesn't look for series arcs on the neutral where with quite a lot of fires and thermal issues on neutrals and what i think john you found one the other day for 88 quid um yeah which parking. i thought was uh, surprisingly cheap compared because all the others are sort of 120 150 and above so yeah um, 200 notes yeah so i can't remember what the um the standard is i Top of my head, but fault protection standard. Um, I believe they do have to protect live and neutral. Six two six oh six, I think it is. That is, I'm sure, to be used to be used in the UK. I'm sure they have to have uh, live and neutral protection, same as a search device. Yeah, we thought we looked we looked at one, and it definitely didn't have protection on the neutral in the series protection, isn't it, John? If I remember rightly. Yeah, I believe you'll see a few of them being recalled. So, yeah, it's one of those areas that's sort of all up in the air and what you get is, who knows, it's say, different people, you get different stuff. So, so yeah, I think people naturally are cynical and they're taking a... I think more people want more guidance from the industry bodies. And I, I think one of the things that is if the industry bodies won't give you that guidance or have that difficult debate or that challenging debate or understand your feelings and views and how you learn and process stuff like these webinars, I think are a great way of us all sharing and debating our knowledge um, this is another slide that we thought we'd throw in because it kind of, we're kind of reinforcing surge protection here, not in a sales pitch way, but just in a, we've used this slide before, Dave, yeah. it's the rise of prosumer, the, the person who consumes, um, obviously is the old way of looking at it, hence the 1970s handlebar tash. And then the modern world of someone who consumes and produces becomes the prosumer. Um, bi-directional current flow there you know surge protection considerations accordingly yeah and obviously we've looked at you know, we've already discussed the importance of consideration of surge with pv and ev as well mm. so so um, this is interesting because we've got some homes now that are i think it's fair to say there's a probably a percentage of homes in the uk that are kind of they're presuming let's be honest about how many council estates are presuming now they're producing energy how many of them do you think so let's pretend i'm going to do some eicrs because let's be perfect frank social that social landlords legislation now uh 30 40 50 quid at eicrs how many inspectors do you think are looking at the solar panels on the roof and saying is there surge protection there many it's a generator mm -hmm. uh stu's got to go See you, Stuart. He says Sorry, he's learned, he says he's learned a hell of a lot. We're nearly done anyway. Yeah. What we've got um, to be careful about with um, solar panels as well is not just, um, so if we go outside the remit of most domestics, if you're working on anything that's got a lightning protection system, they either have to be cross-bonded to the lightning protection system, at which point you'll need to have a type one on mm. your solar panels themselves. If not, they have to have a, a specific separation distance to make sure the lightning would not jump 
from the LPS system onto the solar panels. So you've got to be very, very careful with solar panels um, and sort of the installation that they're on. So I'm actually installing a lot of solar and we're actually putting DC um, surge protection before the inverters, yeah. um, which, which exactly. I actually had to insist upon, which was quite hysterical. And then I went away and dug out a load of BSEN standards and lo and behold in there, it actually said you will put surge protection on the DC side as well. And I think one of the biggest challenges I've found with solar on a commercial aspect is the inverter manufacturers are all Chinese and they talk absolute gobbledygook to try yeah. and get away from any questions. But to be fair, I mean, PV training itself was thrown out um, in a boom market. Yeah. Um, things like microinverters and stuff were barely even technology at the time. Um, and a lot of things was, you know, this up to the inverter, then D size later done. There's not a lot of discussion about protection of the DC side of the array at the time. I think that there's more attention needs to be paid to this. And I think in time, maybe this is another webinar that Kirsty, you might want to do um, where you cover domestic homes with, you know, PV systems on it. But I think this is going to be a, if I walked in and I was doing an EICR on someone's house, I'd, I would see through it straight away to one of you. And I would say, where's the surge protection on the PV system? Uh, again, it needs, depending on size, et cetera, et cetera. Um, I would, I would look for it. I would look as an inspector. Is there a, a sufficient warrant or need for surge protection uh, on the generating side of the PV? Uh, something needs to be considered. Um, I know I'm doing it at the moment, um, and I know the BSEN standards require it. Um, I, I think it's only a matter of time before the rigs catch up. Um, but it's something to consider. Um, we're going to move on from this one because I haven't put a coding one on this one. What we're going to a couple of guys on. have mentioned about the Q&A. Yes, we've seen them, guys. We'll get to them. I haven't. Sorry. There's, there's a couple of questions and answers. so many monitors. Oh, okay. Yeah, um, this one here. Yeah. Sorry. Um, fire alarms. Fire alarm. You walk into a building. There you go. There's a fire alarm panel on the wall. Um, code? There's no, there's no surge protection. Is it codable? And if you saw that, please uh, forgive the flames for dramatic effects. Yeah, the, the, the flames aren't actually there, are they? They're not actually there. Oh. That is pure CG. That's magic. Well done, man. All right. Thank you. Just, it took should we launch the poll on this? Let's launch the poll. All right. I know everyone's thinking the flames are never going to get to the fire panel. <laughs> that was just emphasis. Having a fire inside, definitely a C1. Don't code the flames. <laughs> oh, for dear. effect. Yeah. That's a very good fire panel, actually, you've used because it emphasizes how sensitive this equipment is now getting. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, fire panels of old was literally just a box with some LEDs on the front that went red when the thing occurred. But um, the new ones, they, they're, it's a computer in a box, basically. It monitors all the zones and it tells you exactly where the faults are and the fire is and yeah. it's all addressable yeah. and of course they're not like 50 quid either they're expensive bits of equipment and if they get damaged then it's going to be a big pile of money to replace mm, they're fairly yeah. critical as well here we go 57 percent c2 38 percent c3 so we're obviously well done to both for c2 c3s um limb Two people on the limb. Um, I can see why they've put limb because how far is your extent and limitation? Um, let's pretend you're working for me, which is pretty much everything. 
um, with the exception of cables buried in walls, um, because yes, I am a bit of a taskmaster in that respect. Um, but for me, I actually agree with the C2s. And the reason being is um, I can quote regulation here 56010, fire detection alarm systems, which we're going to cover in another webinar, because everyone says you can't code fire alarms. Why the hell not? Uh, you know, oh, it's not within our scope or is it or is it yes that's the question isn't it it's the same mm -hmm. with emergency lighting the 5266 it's not within our scope or is it or is know? it and uh yeah lazy lazy sparks unfortunately from lazy training i have to add yeah and i think it's more the lazy training the we, yes. we, we are the product of how we're taught yes if we're taught poorly um don't get me wrong i picked up bad habits from the people who taught me but i was very lucky i worked quite a number of jobs when i was younger uh, mm. keen to learn and i took the best of the best people and learned from the worst of them mm. to try and not repeat that but i'm still uh, learning we, every day. Um, we are going to do another one of these where we look at emergency lighting and fire and decide what we need to understand beyond the realm of 7671 to comply with to. 7671 we have to um, <laughs> just just to quote um bs5839 which would be this fire alarm panel Part mm -hmm. one is referenced seven times in 7671 alone. Mm -hmm. um, so don't think this stuff isn't, there isn't even a, there is even, there is a reg in 5839, as we know from our podcasts, that says you will comply with 7671. And there are uh, more than one regs in 7671 that says you will, when doing fire alarm systems, mm -hmm. comply. Again, so a, lot, a lot of people, a lot of people went on the 18th edition course, for example, if they go to a standard that's mentioned in the training world, that means, oh, it doesn't matter. Because it's not in our exam. Let's not look at exploring that because it's not in your book. And they're not going to then invest in that unless they're uh, the, the strangers that we have in here, like the, the Daniels and the Daves that spend all their money on these standards. A lot of sparks won't go into these other standards. And so they'll stay outside of their scope and outside of their working world. I, I would be looking to put a, um, a Type 3 device near to that power supply. So from my that, point of view, I would be ignoring the fact that fire alarms are maybe or maybe not outside the scope of 7671. What I'd be straight away looking at, a fire alarm system is a life safety critical piece of kit. Mm -hmm. So it falls under risk if your fire alarm goes down. So in the event you had any sort of fire within a building, that could create electrical damage which could create a surge in the system which could send down your fire alarm mm. if you do not have a surge protection device there you might have a building on fire with no fire alarm it's a life safety piece of kit it would be a c2 for me is it fair to say that unless obviously the fire alarm is in like the same area as the switch gear in most cases you're going to want a type 3 spd adjacent to or in very close proximity to this panel exactly so you want yeah. your fire you your specific protection for a fire alarm. So it would be a type three. So as Paul quite rightly said, if you want to protect something specifically, it's a type three at the end of the line. Mm. So that was what you'd put. Usually I generally say in the fuse spur feed in that fire alarm, put a type three device that'll then protect that specifically. Cool. Yeah, some of the comments there, Sean's put, um, do fire panels not have type three on board? Well, they might do, but the key thing is that if you're going to put a type three there, that's not just it. You still need to fit the surge protection in the main distribution because the type three only deals with that little bit at the end of the waveform. So just bunging a type three in and saying all this well, that's not good enough because that's the same as getting that cheapo extension lead and plugging it into your TV. Mm. That on, in on its own is not good enough. So you do need to put the rest of the stuff in of the one or the two where the um, main panel or the um, main um, electrical 
intake is. It's also it has a so that's cascading protection that John's alluding to. So the yeah. way you sort of work your way down the system. Um, I was also going to suggest that um, it's probably worthwhile when you are doing the ICR, if it's a new fire alarm panel with modern electronics and possibly batteries, where if you open up that panel and there's a little battery back up to keep that running, um, that it's worthwhile understanding maybe the manufacturer's instructions because uh, new fire alarm panels, I can tell you now for one, uh, in in manufacturers instructions are recommending surge protection on new equipment why because they're updating their data selling more modern electronics etc etc so it's worthwhile again i mean this is uh, for me it's a c2 because uh, again my experience my logic and reasoning of the infrastructure i work in but c3 again from from the guys who, who chose c3 i can see why they would do that um, this is about emerging developing growing our knowledge and our application but more importantly reminding the inspector of thinking the bigger picture because um, a lot of a lot of guys who do inspections sometimes can be so monotonous these webinars are trying to make us just refocus what we would normally think about in maybe a slightly different way um, the problem sometimes the problem is especially like with now we've got the code breaker as well a lot of us wanting to write a regulation down with mm -hmm. an observation and things like that you know, when we start to think about obviously the uh, criticality of the equipment and stuff, we have to look at safety services, but we won't find the wording specific for what we see. We have to interpret it differently. Or we can just go to obviously read 5266 or 5839. Or we can read 1311 and it says the requirements are intended to provide for the safety of persons, livestock and property against dangers and damage, which might arise in the reasonable use of an electrical installation. Searches are very reasonable fundamental principles yeah but that's not joining the dots to a fire alarm Sorry. panel to a lot of other well yeah we could we could hop skip and jump point. all the way through maybe that's something we probably need to do in a future one but um yeah next one that's your lighting get the poll up what does everyone think what what's the question the question is is if you have emergency lighting within the premises and there is no surge protection at all as on fires what would you code it Told you we're going to be slightly controversial in this one. Let's push the old grey matter a bit. My favourite way to be a little bit controversial. Uh, well, no, just I think challenging and asking mm. questions because for me, if I can be honest about it, in the last two, three years, uh, I think, Dave, we've been doing this. We've been asking more questions and getting the answers we wanted and then having to go and find the answers ourselves. Um, yes, I may, have, I may have been doing some of that myself. Yeah, questioning yeah. things and... and um poking yeah annoying me. well i find it embarrassing and i'm going to say this out loud that we had to fly to friggin vienna to to speak to an afdd manufacturer because the information we were getting from the industry was pants that to me is an embarrassment well the industry didn't have a clue to be fair no they didn't no they didn't but that's fine you know i'm not paid to do this as my day job by the way mm. this is me doing voluntary stuff um Wait for a couple more people to vote. 75% mm, Dawn's just okay. being controversial. Is he? Being lazy. It's a limb for me. <laughs> a typical Sean. Yeah, yeah, it's a limb. I'm tired. It's interesting because you've just read out 131 and people have gone C3 with this. This is C3, 50%. Yeah, right. C2, 41. Yeah, that's so what I'd say, if you were, I'd imagine this as if you were installing a new panel and it was under 18th edition. Mm -hmm. And it had a circuit on it feeding emergency lighting. 
straight away in my mind an emergency lighting circuit is a life safety circuit mm -hmm. that's what it's yes. designed for so if you're installing a new board and it had an emergency lighting circuit on it that new board should have surge protection on it under 18th edition but when you're coding it you're not coding to current regs if i'm writing this obviously i'm mm -hmm. not an electrician you are coding to wherever that was installed so even though it's a life safety circuit there is an argument for either way mm. c2 c3 yeah. well you go to current regs but we don't yeah. retrospective we have to consider retrospectiveness um so i mean as as paul read out was it one three one dot one one something Zero. yeah <laughs> um you translate that the same here in that the system should uh it's the first line in fundamental protection for safety fundamental principles. You love part 13. one though, don't you? you chapter never 13, I tell you now, if you just love it and hold it close to your chest, you'll never go wrong because mm -hmm. it, it just, it gets rid of all the politics and all the opinions of the arguments. Does my protective yeah. measure meet the fundamental principles? But again, it's a case of what if, now what if there's an over voltage and now your emergency lighter doesn't work? Yeah, I put on I put on Twitter just last week where there was an incident where a gentleman obviously was found at the bottom of a emergency escape, and the emergency lighting I don't know what the exact details was we don't know but a prosecution happened and the emergency lighting maintenance was the was the prosecution so clearly investigations concluded there was inadequate lighting. Mark Holmes said type through every standalone fitting. It'd be really interesting if the plug and socket manufacturers could build a type three into their devices. That would be quite a little coup, whoever does plug and socket, you know, like the click systems and stuff. If you, you know, you get the emergency ones that are red, wouldn't it be really cool if the emergency ones actually had surge protection device built into but That's them? a good point though. I mean, with a lot of the times, we're, now, <laughs> we're not installing centralized systems these days. We're going for these local maintained, non-maintained fittings. Do we need to consider protection at every incident? If we step up to SPD there. protection. Um, Adam H has put C3 depends if new LED units or existing old units, presumably in the old ones with the fluorescent uh, late watch tubes. Late watch tubes. And then, Completely agree. <laughs> um, C3, uh, Richard Harrison said this, uh, C3 batteries will kick in and leave the safe escape for people. Well, are you sure? Because if a surge or transit's come in and damaged the electronics in the unit, who's to say that it's actually going to work anymore, whether it's on batteries or not? That all depends on the charging of the thing because say if it's an old one that's got a linear power supply then it might be that the actual battery part is totally separate from the mains that comes in but a lot of the new ones it's all one circuit board and if something gets damaged on it it might not work on battery or on the main so mm. Mm, it's certainly not guaranteed to just work on battery regardless just to give you a little bit of an update, five, um, 560.9 uh, is uh, the, there's a comment on emergency lighting about it complying with the requirements of 5266. Yeah. And BSEN 1838, BSEN 1838 hasn't been updated since 2013. They're generally pretty pants to one of your standards because emergency lighting is about minimalism because of the associated cost. Because of that and the inherent dirty part of this, the way I explain emergency lighting is imagine the entire supply chain of electrical contracting, the arse end of everything. The last thing is the emergency lighting. It's like the poor cousin of every part of the electrical contracting. And it definitely sounds like you're speaking from experience. I am speaking from electrical experience and I've done lectures on this because it just annoys the hell out of me. Um, but yeah, so it's always the poor man's cousin 
really as far as consideration never mind surge protection for me it would be a c2 if it's commercial industrial or anything public i can see where people use the c3 um, because we as an industry as a group of inspectors we don't have these debates and conversations however i think it's on our instagram a recent incident of an over voltage where the ballasts for the old fluorescence would swell and they would basically cook and the components would burst out of their shell mm. and emit black smoke and i've recently had an incident where that occurred um, and we put that down to over I mean, I remember, I remember well over 10 years ago when I was replacing a load of ballasts for Tridonic electronic ones. Mm -hmm. So electronic ballasts have been out for a long time. Yeah, they have. You Just know. people have, people have always hesitantly gone towards LED until the mad, mad sales pitch of every LED, mm. LED company out there. And now we've just got this chaos when it comes to lighting and switching and what systems to use, whereas it was just bulbs and switches before. I guess, the, I guess the, the challenge is understanding how you then apply this protection. Well, know, did everyone come up I mean, the... people came up with C3, but how would you apply this protection to an emergency lighting system? Depends on the system, isn't it? And again, it's the, uh, what protective measures are you applying? So do you have a static inverter? Is it central UPS? Is it self-contained? Well, those um, systems are easy because you've got a suitable wiring system. You can put the protection at that point. But the majority of the time, we're putting them local systems, little self-contained luminaires, and that protection is all there. Yeah. But so if you're doing a central the... UPS, Dave, and there's a switching mechanism from the UPS, because there's a loss on the DNO, that switching is, isn't surge one of the one of the biggest causes of internal surges from internal switching. Well, uh, yeah, eighty percent. Uh, yeah. So uh, an internal UPS switching, which I'm sure lots of companies do regularly um but that could that could cause a surge so yeah. have we considered it probably not in the past if so is it something we might want to recommend so i can see where the c3s have come from yeah. it's an interesting one it's a good debate to have we don't have answers we have problems that's no what we, do. we have problems we bring, yeah yeah that's um so just said that at the beginning really yeah we have just nothing but problems dear industry please don't hate us so um this is a little slide and a, and a picture sorry about the quality of it but it's a really good picture because it kind of explains um just for for electricians bsen 62305 part one protection against lightning that is the uh, document that actually defines a lightning uh, strike and what i will tell you now is is in the definitions uh, or in section 3.8 um, it says a uh, point of strike, which is a point where a lightning flash strikes the earth or protruding object structure LPS. So the um, lightning strike term is actually point of strike now because these standards grow. And the term stroke is also in the standard. If I can. Uh, is that now a point of stroke? Yeah. Uh, da, 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 hang on. Uh, point of strike. Um, well, actually, there is a lightning stroke, which is a single electrical discharge okay. in a lightning flash to earth. So for electricians everywhere, this is how we very cleverly say it is strike 62305. If I can get this to work. Stroke 7671. Now, the difference is this is Sean's house over in Shoebury Ness. Um, and what you've got is a lightning strike with lots of um, branches and stuff hitting a tree and the stroke is, is, is basically the after effect of that lightning going into the ground and effectively uh, appearing on cables that could be running uh, in parallel underground uh, etc and, and how that then conducts into 
the installation and that the standard deals with that is 7671 unless Kirsty's going to say shut up Paul you're an idiot um, but that's kind of the way I've always explained it to electricians so strike 62305 stroke 7671 that's that's kind of how I've always I've kind of always thought of it as strike as the delivery of the energy to ground and yep. stroke as the transferring of the energy in the network yes basically that yeah. makes sense but um, just to just to throw uh, more more chaos on that fire, six two three zero five does define short strokes and long strokes. Oh great! Um, I know it, and multiple strokes and all sorts. So, gentle uh, strokes and different strokes. Yes, strokes indeed. Um, but yeah, so that's kind of the easiest layman way of putting it. Really, um, it's it's the after effect of that non-direct strike, which we're trying to deal with um, atmospheric origin stuff, stuff that can have a cumulative effect outside the installation and, and, and rise potentials within it in a hazardous That's way. It. So how I explain that when I'm doing my seminars is um, if you imagine a puddle and a raindrop going to the middle of a puddle and then you have this ripple effect coming off, that's exactly the same thing you get from a lightning stroke. So when the lightning hits the air, hits it, you get these ripples off exactly the same as you would in a raindrop hitting a puddle, except they travel much further, you get up to two miles from the center of a strike we, we so that, need, that house there would have a lot of damage an awful need, lot we need to issue a severe apology to everyone listening because the guys in the chat room have asked the most important question and that is what about thor the god of thunder how are we mitigating thor it's the god of thunder he's not the god of strokes no yes god yes damn you yes bang on thor mm. does what thor wants there you go we've answered that question <laughs> um so there you go mm. That's a good. That's a good analogy. That because I may still. It's a great. That's it's okay. a great analysis. The, the puddle. Yeah. So that's kind of it, really. That's why right, my, my training's full of them. I, I love an analogy. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, great. Analogies are good. Um, that's it, really. Um, if there's any questions or anything else, there we are. Thought we'd so try um, and be different in this one. There's quite a few questions. Um, oh, there's just there? one, oh, one in the chat from Richard Harrison that says, so things like disabled WC alarms, tannoys, PA systems may need social protection as well. And yes, they may. Yeah. Depends on what their function is. So if you've got a PA system that's there to give emergency announcements, such as evacuate the shopping centre, then yes, it should have, because obviously if that was broken, and but, an emergency, well, you can't get the people out of there. So. Some tannoys are used for special reasons and special code words. You know, like, you know, if there's a bomb scare, there'll be a tannoy allowed, to, you know, out to yeah. staff. And, you know, about, I remember once I was in L London Aquarium and over tannoy, I heard Mr. Fish come to reception. I said to my wife, I said, something's going on here. Yeah. Uh, 15 minutes later, we were evacuated. Yeah. <laughs> you know? um, so, yeah, those systems, you know, if they're used for any purpose like that or evacuation, then definitely. I'm struggling to find where the questions are. I'm going bonkers, evidently. Uh, so go to my screens Zoom, QA. Oh, I'll, I'll read the first one. I've got it. Yeah, David. Um, oh, no, I've lost it. Right, 514 has lots of labels for all sorts of things, but nothing for SPD. So, do we think there is any need for a type of label or any kind of labeling to help with SPDs? Watch this space. Amendment so. 2 is on the way. Watch this <gasps> space. <laughs> I'm going to edit that out now. Also, if it's not in the it doesn't stop you making your own labels for things. Either. No, it doesn't. It doesn't stop you making Obviously, your own. Yeah. Work from the regulations, not Whatever to them. Okay. It's right. You don't need to edit that out, Paul. That's absolutely fine. Okay, cool. <laughs> right. 
Another one from David. Other influences from services outside the S767, such as BT overhead cabling, would they require SPD type ones or aerial so installations, if, virgin media, etc.? Yeah. If you imagine it, you're creating. If you imagine your your house or the, the house you're working on is a bubble, anything that comes inside your bubble can bring problems with it. So yeah. Yes, you can protect your BT phone lines, you can protect your broadband, you can protect your aerials, you can protect all these sort of things. And they do talk about them in 7671, but there is no regulation specifically saying you have to do it. These devices are out there, but there's nothing to say you have to do it. Good, good part of the question, though. Virgin Media, etc. who's responsible for it? So if the electrician recommends it, can the electrician then be fitting onto the Virgin Media cables? If it's Virgin, then no, you can't because Virgin are really hot on people tampering with their equipment. Mm -hmm. Even if you just unplug the box, they might actually come around and see what you're doing. And then, yeah, so how could we isolate? Trouble. How could we isolate Virgin from the rest of the property if we can't protect Virgin? Mm. That is that is a good question. I don't, I don't think you can. It's it's going to be up to them because say they if you their network is monitored extensively. And if you literally unplug things or do stuff, they will know and they could actually just pop around and see what you've been doing. Mm. Um, the other point in that question is, is, is it an SPD type one? And it's not, is it? No. No. That situation? no, not in that situation. Although it's an overhead wire, it's not the same as your overhead wire for your power coming into your house. It's uh, a type three there. Type three, yeah. Or you can save yourself a lot of aggro and just get the BT cable removed off your house like I did when I moved in. Because I'm I'm a Virgin Media, it comes up under the ground, and I yeah I just said to BT I don't want that wire anymore, and yeah there you go. Yeah. I'm actually not looking at the chat in case people are talking about these questions as we go through them. Uh, Check. Um, okay, old father Watts, could it be argued that Reg four four three point four protecting its overvoltage shall be provided? Where the consequences caused by overvoltage could one result in serious injury, two loss of human life. Looking at Paul's photo, there is definitely a fire risk. He's always on the fire risk, possible explosion risk, uh, etc., which is a risk of injury life. So, regardless of any other issue, cost, etc., we should be installing them. This makes the absence of SPDs SC2 dangerous under fault in all domestic installations at least we've got that right in though to say that for domestic installations they may be omitted unfortunately that that is what it says for single dwelling units unfortunately it's stupid so old father watts is basically speaking from the experience of fire service and houses and fires catching while people are asleep and i completely I agree remember, with him i remember I hearing i can't remember who it, was, who it was i heard i remember someone debating this into a similar argument in this and i think what the person said in your home, you know your escape, but if you're in a hotel, then you're unfamiliar. I don't agree with that. But I remember no. someone I remember else. That. I remember. I remember someone else saying that. I don't know where it was, but this 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 domestic thing does create a huge amount of, of frustration. I think I remember that. Yeah, I remember that debate happened. I remember we were kind of giggling and chuckling well, to ourselves. I don't know who said it. I do. I'm not saying it. Oh, okay. <laughs> I don't. Um, but no. Um, fire. Fire. Yeah. Um, if if. Paul's mentioned there's a risk of ignition. If if the absence of SPDs can result in a risk of fire, then yeah, um, Father Watts is going to be immediately on that, saying, "Well, if there's a risk of fire in the home, then it's dangerous. It's potentially dangerous." It's a no, I completely agree. Especially the thing is, you've got you could have a, a, 
an overhead line feeding a domestic and they still class it under a domestic reg it's still under a single dwelling so whether it's overground where you could potentially get it hit a direct lightning strike or underground they still classify it in the same regulation which i don't feel it should be you know what i'd love to see with all these questions i would love to see an event and a seminar where the eca the end well they're the same thing nic and eca nap it and everybody sits down and nobody leaves until we have these debates and and we have a good old they've already stuff. agreed to a line before the meeting takes place paul oh i'll shut up yeah good point you know we know this yeah it's right. a line or you can't come and play yeah that's true that's true yes all right yeah so i i am um, i agree with uh what old father what's is saying um but it's the same as the fire premature collapse thing um which you know people probably have seen the argument for that uh, unfortunately uh we know nothing what with his 20 years experience running a fire station he has no idea mm. right richard Hi, Kirsty. Hope you're well. Good to have you <laughs> on tonight. Is it okay to send me uh, to some info <laughs> on Surge? When to fit, what type, etc. In terms of when to fit, it just undertaking minor works. We fit them as standard on big new installs and major return work. Hey, Dave, what are you doing with the accent? What, what, However, we're just adding, this is my reading from <laughs> someone else's perspective voice. I can't do, oh, I, I can't, I can't right, do okay. Paul's uh, Liam Neeson. How, when just adding new circuits mm -hmm. or adding or altering existing circuits, do we fit them? There's a question. Okay, so first things, if anyone wants any more information, the best thing to do is to either contact me through my email. You can email me kirsty at surgedevices.co.uk or if you go onto our website, I hold all the training webinars on there. There's a training section. I hold lots of different webinars <coughs> uh, personally. So you can contact me exactly that way and anyway, I can get on to do some training with you. In terms, I forgot the last bit of the question now. Uh, uh, just adding new circuits, adding and altering existing, do we have to fit them if we're just adding minor things? So that depends on your school of thought, um, to be quite honest. In terms of the regs, it would be me, the wording is if you make a significant amendment, if I believe. Um, so it would depend what you were doing. If you were giving out a certificate, say your board was to 18th edition, your work was to 18th edition, then really if any of the circuits fall under 443, we should be putting surge protection in. Mm. Um, if you're not saying your work is compliant to 2008, the, the regs 2018, then yeah, unfortunately, I mean, I again, it's open. It's open to interpretation. Yeah, really, it, it comes down to what you're doing, and it's the same as everything else. If you go into someone's house, say to just replace a light switch, not desperately likely going to start recommending surge protection or the rest be installed. But on the other hand, if you're going there to sort of rewire half a kitchen and do the rest of it, well, yeah, you probably should be because obviously making fairly large changes and alterations to that stuff. So it's it's really along the same lines as any other work you're doing. To say, if you went to a house, change light switch, if that circuit didn't have RCD protection, you're not going to say to the customer, oh, well, here's your light switch with a pound and we're going to have to put a whole new consumer in and then start yeah. rewiring the house just for that. So mm -hmm. common sense applies, I think, there. So assuming people have such things common there. sense is not common and sometimes not sensible for a lot of people i agree uh david said earlier are there any dc based spds or does it ma not matter they do both paul you've got experience with dc spds do you want to um i've been using um ones that were specifically designed for dc um that are pretty new to the market actually in fairness we've only installed them in the last six months and they are specific just for dc um 
solar currents. They're designed specifically for PV applications because mm. it's not a chopped uh, AC waveform. It's a, it's a pure DC. Smooth um, DC. Smooth DC, indeed. Smooth DC. Is this like uh, oh, yeah. surge to Kirsty? Yeah, so we've, we've done them for years. I mean, any surge mm. device will have a DC current. It always will be lower than the AC current rating, but it will have a DC current rating. It's not usually advertised on most of the data sheets because most people are using in the free application anyway and um, but then there is some dc specific devices because obviously we go down to a lot smaller voltage when we're doing 48 volt 30, 30 volt things like that so we do have specific ones and then you have your pv and then we have all wind turbine ones and there's there's thousands thousands of different applications but yeah most normal surge devices will work on ac and dc but obviously they'll have different levels of what they'll do for both yeah i think the voltage thing is important because certainly mm. for solar panels the actual DC voltage there can be extremely high, even and in normal operation, sort of many hundreds of volts. So obviously you need to make sure the device you're fitting is suitable for whatever the actual panel array of voltage actually is. So otherwise That's it. Our our two PV of devices we have in a PV six hundred for a six hundred volt system and a thousand volt for a thousand volt system. Um, and then we that in type one or type two, depending on if you've got LPS on the building. So there's different considerations you've got to think all the time with them. Mm. Adam says, good evening, Kirsty. Uh, when I did my 2391 at Premier Training, or Premier, I assume that's, that's uh, NAPIT's training, I think. Yeah. Uh, they gave me a handout by yourselves for the type of surge and where to fit them and the product you guys offer. So have you given some handout materials to NAPIT's training business? Yeah, I've done quite a lot of work with NAPIT. Um, I appear on all their, well, for the last few years, actually, any of their sort of events, I've sort of been there and been involved. I've done a lot of their panel work. I'm their sort of technical person. I've, I still get phone calls now and it's, oh, I've spoken to Napit Technical and they didn't know the answer, so they give me your number and it, it happens. Um, so yeah, they, they have got some of my information that right. quite possibly could be given out. Do you, um, do you have other kind of packages or resources that you can give to, you give to other colleges or some kind of kit? So it's just our brochure. So I've got a page in our brochure that sort of um, takes through a simple working out what surge device you need that covers most scenarios. Um, so I can always send that out. I have dropped my, my info into the chat. So my email address and my phone number. So if anyone wants anything like that, just drop me an email or give me a call and I'm quite um, happy to we'll, help. We'll put it on the YouTube video comments as well. Oh, below thank you. In the, <laughs> in the awesome. Um, Dean says, what type SPD for external equipment on roofs fed from local DBs? So there's two things we need to think about here. So firstly, has the building got a lightning protection system? Because if it has, then anything that's on the roof will be cross-bonded to the LPS system, at which point if it's cross-bonded, we need a type one. Um, if there's no lightning protection system, then we go type two. Yeah, short and sweet, that's good. Um, Simple answer what? to a rather complex situation, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it, was. it was, it was pretty good. Um, Dean then says, what reg can you use for fitting SPDs on life systems? 4.3.4. Sorry? <laughs> That's a very what short reg was that? 4.4.3.4. 4, 4, 4. 4. There we the go. 4.4.3.4. 4. 4. 4. That's, that's the four points, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. life safety circuit. Yeah. yeah, cool. There you go. Use that one. Alrighty, righty, yo. Um, William... Oh, hi, I'm sorry to see you now, sir. Uh, is there a device to protect incoming telephone lines? Yep. There's about, there's, there's thousands, thousands of surge devices you can, that do all different types of things. Three devices, isn't it? Yeah. Mm -hmm. 
to just go, does it fit in line with it then or something? Yeah, so most type three devices will be more that they'll sit in line specifically. And um, so if you think of them then as acting sort of like a filter type thing of mm -hmm. not letting the surge through. Mm -hmm. okay. oh, I've just seen somebody, sorry, write in the chat about premier training in Oldham. Is that Daniel? Daniel. Daniel. Yeah. yeah, Daniel, if you're local to Oldham, that's where my office is. Um, so if you ever want any training, let me know, because I can probably train you a little bit better than premier training on surge protection. She's local. There you go. <laughs> I'm local. Yeah. David says, what, what, what sort of cost and days to undergo training? I'm booked already on a one day at the moment in October. Contact case, uh, Kirsty. Uh, don't know what training. Premier training. Oh, I have no idea what their costs are. That's probably oh, yeah. something crazy because that's what training organised sensations rather tend to do. Um, but if you ever want any training on surge protection, I mean, I give out free webinars. I'm doing them several times a week. Um, if you want, there's lots online. If you want them on something specific, drop me an email. And I can design something specific. Mm. That's not a problem. I'll do all that for free. My my recommendation. Yeah, my recommendation is not to look at training solutions in this kind of area, look more at what the manufacturers are already providing, because most of the times the training solution will be created by them, offered by them, or a, a very badly filtered version of what they are providing for free, um, to be fair. Um, the only thing you obviously may want to seek is some practical experience of installing. That might help. That's about it, really. I think that's, I know a, lot, a lot of guys lack experience in that. Okay, and we have here, oh, Rich has carried on the other one from earlier about new circuits or small. Yes, I'm saying just a few new circuits. Our new circuits are wired to the 18th, but does the installation warrant SPD or is it <clears> just a major refurbishment? Well, I mean, for me, the, again, it's a, if I'm installing a circuit, then that's a new ins an installation certificate. Uh, and I've got to consider protection against over voltage as much as I've got to consider protection against over current and electric shock and thermal effects. So 4.4 comes in play with my design of my new circuit, even if it is one circuit in an existing installation. If I'm designing to the 18th edition, then it comes in. I don't know what you guys think about that. I think 13216, um, which again, no alteration or addition, temporary or permanent, shall be made to the existing installation until it's been ascertained the rating and condition of any existing equipment. He refuses to Including that the distributor will be adequate for the altered circumstances. Furthermore, the earthing and bonding, if necessary for protective measures, shall be adequate. No, if, if, if Paul Miller ever ended up in a JPL committee after about three years of disagreements, the race would end up about four pages long because it would just be part one. <laughs> it just be part fundamental one. Principles. Do you know <laughs> what? I've worked 13. in too many companies where you go in and you go full on, here's 5,000 snags, loads of technical babble, loads of, and, and then you'll go to a board of directors and they'll go, yeah, just Janet and John it for me, please. It's a simple layman language. Uh, basically, don't meet the fundamental. You go back to part one. Oh, okay, right. Yeah. So if they haven't met the first six pages of the book, why why are you arguing about the rest of it? Oh, yeah, good mm. point. All right. So those questions are answered. All right. Anything else, guys, in the chat? Okay. I'll just say that um, Premier Training is now Napit Training. They've got they've ditched the Premier Training name completely now. Mm. They were Napit. Then they were Premier. Now they're Napit again. Yeah. It's, it's an APIC now. Who knows what the future may hold, but uh, that's, they've changed their whole website and everything to that now. So uh, anyway, it's the same place. So, and they've owned it for years. You actually, did, did you do training with them recently, John, didn't you? Yeah, for the uh, EV course. Uh, yeah. 
Um, Paul Brewerton has asked, what is JPEL again? Um, well, not again. Um, it's the Joint Power and Electrical Committee. Um, we'll do a video on it at some point. Yeah. So it's the committee I'm there's the committee that writes the wiring regulations. So yep. basically we look at all the European and harmonised documents mm. and all the regulations from everywhere else and we condense them down into UK suitable regulations. So we write yeah. the S seven six seven one essentially. I and say we as in I am a little very I think there's it's split up into four sections. You have A, B, C and D. Yeah. I sit on D um, and it's different parts of the books fall in different sections. There's about 30 to 40 people on each panel. Um, and then you have JPAL as in the total top, um, the JPAL 64, and they basically review everything that the other panels have done um, to bring it all together. This, this can sometimes excuse why the things are written differently in one area of the book to another if one committee's decided to write it that way. And creating a standardised normally works well, but sometimes it doesn't work. And when you read other standards by people that are also involved in JPL, you can see a complete difference. We were in a stand the other day and the word basically was written in it. That's right, yeah. You know, it's like basic, I'm like, the word basically is in a British stand. I was like, hang on, who's, who's? Uh, no. BSEN 50122. And it also appears What's in BS7430 as well, basically. Basically. Oh, basically, like, oh, okay. Basically, really? Who wrote this? So, yeah, David yeah. Um, Betteridge has put where I go for that training course. That was in Bournemouth. They did it in a hotel over two days. So uh, the EV. Yeah. How did they? How did they do the practical? Uh, they had test rigs that were wheeled in on a trolley, plugged into an isolating transformer, and a load of other gubbins. Which, as you can imagine, doing things like loop impedance tests gave rather strange results. To say Very, yeah. Yeah. Yes. Anyway, it, it, it sort of kind of worked, but uh, yeah, not not ideal. But obviously, no. Rich, um, I just want to respond to this. This quick. Um, I meant we fit an SPD to an existing DB. Um, we've come off for a new lighting circuit. This would mean we need an S to fit an SPD at the origin, the subboard. We've come off in the SPD. So you're going way, way back. You don't need to go all the way back through your installation. You need to consider your new installation. So irrelevant to how many panels are in this board, this this installation or whatever. If you're working from a sub, you're putting a new circuit into that sub. You would only need to surge protect your work. So you would only actually need to do it at the sub. You wouldn't then need to go back to the origin because that's not in your scope of works. Yeah. And so you'd only need to look at putting in surge protection in that sub distribution board that you're taking your circuit from. Mm. It's a, it's a bit like when you work out your loop impedances, you have to add it to the ZS at DB. You work from that board. And when you do a design, you're working from that board and you install the protection at the board, which is the source of energy to your work. You don't have to go back and upgrade the whole freaking factory. Um, just protect your work. I Unless they want it. Unless they want it. The uni where... Oh, exactly. You can go and recommend it. There's no reason yeah. you can't. Um, I think Richard here is working from a background where he's working on universities and um, he says we'll end up putting them on everything. And to be quite honest, in a, in a big university situation, you probably are going to be putting them on most most boards. Um, usually universities have lightning protection systems. You'll have a tight one at your origin. Your board will all feed something that comes off 443.4. So if at any point you are making amendments to them boards, um, or additions to them boards or you're putting in a new board you are going to have to put surge protection in it you don't have to do it all at the same time but as you work through the installation you will probably have to yes i think it's also if i can be fair and balanced here and also state that the 
the other manufacturers who've been on our podcast with them, Dane, are, I believe, soon to open an academy where they're going to cover, they're actually going to offer lightning protection specific training, which should be which should be good for electricians. And then also surge protection, I believe they're developing a portfolio of training as well, which I think can only be good mm. for anybody mm. who wants to increase their knowledge in an area which is desperately needing to increase its knowledge. So. Mm. Richard says, even just adding a single circuit, I've been told just add SPDs when doing major works. What what defines that then? What you know? How do you, how do you decide if your work is major or not? So, I mean, we know we have a minor work cert, we have an installation cert, but how do we decide if work is major? Uh, balance mm -hmm. of cost and in risk. terms of it being short-sighted in terms of the whole installation I, I agree it completely is but if you're working on a, a big installation a big industrial installation to say for argument's sake and you are putting in one new board that board might need surge protection but you that does not mean your client then wants you to go and look at the rest of the installation so although yes it might be a little bit short-sighted in the whole installation mm -hmm. The regs, you, you haven't got the scope of works to look at the whole installation, so you're doing the best that you can type thing. Yeah. I mean, sense. what's reasonably practicable, I think, is the uh, the phrase used in law. Yeah, I mean, the I main thing is that whatever you're installing needs to comply. If the rest of the installation doesn't, well, the rest of the installation doesn't, but obviously that's not something you're dealing with. So although you can recommend it could be looked at, <clears> not something you need to deal with at the time, just make sure that what you're fitting obviously is uh, meeting the requirements just so. remember the terminology that we've been talking about duty of care discharging taking reasonable steps under eawr 29 if you've got a bag of shit installation and you're doing some work to it and you can see the rest needs improving ensure the wording and grammar of your recommendations are strong and robust to ensure you're not sat in front of a judge one day new question coming before we uh go uh, Mark says, if a T1 cannot be installed or a Type 1 can't be installed within 500 mil of the origin on a domestic with an overhead supply due to, say, a switch fuse in the DNO meter box or something, and the DB is over 10 meters away, is it okay to fit a, t a Type 1 at the DB if it has to be fitted at the origin cost and aesthetics may rule to uh, Type 1? That's out? a bloody good question. So, firstly, never ever put a Type 1 inside a consumer unit never ever i mean these things are designed to take a direct lightning strike and live through it you mm. do not want that anywhere near your you want to stop the lightning before it gets there they're going to let through a lot of energy or, they are they are um this whole thing about the origin um we need to backtrack a little bit because we we just want to get it before it gets to your circuits so for me, how I always suggest a tight one is installed in a domestic circumstance is generally from Henley blocks. So have your normal feed coming up to your Henley blocks. From your feed, from your Henley blocks, have a feed going up to your consumer unit. Have a parallel feed going off to an enclosure with your overcurrent and your surge device in your tight one surge. So just keep the cable from your. At that point, you would make your cable. You've got up to a meter, half a meter to a meter. You take your measurement from your Henley through overcurrent from your overcurrent to your surge device and then from your surge device to your earth again that can be a local earth in the enclosure that can just be earth to the enclosure and um, so that's the distance you need to keep under a meter it's not from your meter your um, electrical meter that you've got outside possibly it's from where you split from your feed is where you start measuring not from where it comes into your installation if that makes sense 
Okay, well, I think I, I think I was getting where where Mark was coming from here because a lot of houses, as we discussed in last week's one, where the DNO the, the DNO have meter boxes on the outside of buildings now because of that coroner's ruling. Um, so now all new builds have got it, and if you do have a TT wire, that's going to come down into that box. Those boxes shouldn't be used for anything but isolators. And then what normally happens is you'll get a set of twenty-five mil tails, which will then go all the way through the cavities and into the board. I think it was more the question the question was of where is the best place to arrest with a type one because he can't do it in the meter box because there's no space does he do it in a cabinet next to the meter box and some henley blocks which i would probably recommend rather than putting something at the board yeah. um and, and that's where my brain as you were talking was saying i would probably looking at get a, an ip65 box where practical or sinking another box next to it which mean meaning you need a lintel and cut the wall out and stuff and then just punch through connect in with some henleys and put your type one in there which the dnos won't give a damn about let's be perfectly frank they don't care it's not their problem if it's a new estate and you're over red lines it's a system designer's problem for the estate um, is there sufficient information in g12 no of course there isn't mm. if it's an existing installation in yorkshire and it's a solid stone wall you have a problem and the only way i can think of overcoming that is rather than arresting it inside the building where it could have blown your walls to pieces is put something on the wall next to it as close to the origin as i mean where it comes to dnos as well um we had the big storms we had to the beginning of this year february and um, we had i had a client contact me and he'd had his boiler controls blow very very sensitive boiler um, he contacted his local friendly DNO, his, obviously his DNO, and they told him, well, because the power had gone down, essentially, the overhead fed, power had gone down, come back up, he had this issue. They told him he should have surge protection installed to protect his equipment inside his installation. And this was a domestic, a domestic mm -hmm. householder. And he'd literally Googled surge protection and called me for advice because he had no idea what it was and that fact he should be installing it. So DNOs will not will not have any help will not give you any help when it comes to this sort of stuff i think it's fair to say that dnos won't help many people on many things and it's fairly evident that dnos are doing a lot to teflon their obligations and put it back onto the consumers based on what we see obviously uh, in anecdotes and people talking to us and more of our opinions on dnos watch our last webinar yes watch our last webinar for more opinions on dnos and and eventually our next one when that can happen Mm. which may be this year, maybe next year, who knows. Again, there's here a question here asking about overcurrent protection on a Type 1. Yes, any overcurrent protection, so the, the actual level will vary on with manufacturers. But what we have to remember is if you, if, if you imagine a building with a lightning protection system where you'd have a Type 1 fitted, in that we're not looking at the lightning coming through the overcurrent protecting device we're actually looking at the lightning coming up the earth so we're trying to stop the flashover from the lps system which is attached to your meter onto your live system it's that flashover that we're trying to top stop occurring so the type one function in that it's not coming through the overcurrent protection device it's actually protecting it's stopping the flashover happening that end um so the overcurrent protection device don't get too hung up on that whole thing with the type one the fact it's got to take a lightning strike through it because generally it's not doing 
And again, when we go back to MCBs and speeds and surge protection devices, when we're looking at a building that's got overhead lines feed in it and we're using a type one, again, the overcurrent protection device is completely irrelevant because the speed of a lightning strike and how fast your type one is going to activate, again, it, it, won't, it won't affect it in any way. Lovely. Lovely. <laughs> Lovely. Is there any more? Any more? There is. Um, I, I, I could kind of. No, we still off. need a. Sorry, sorry. Sean's just put we no need for current. Yes, you still need it. Uh, I'm just saying the um, for a type one lightning comes the other way generally, so lightning can come up your so, earth. So different um, when we're looking at a lightning protection. Yes, yeah, different, different performance. Different strokes. <laughs> Different routes. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah it's always need an overcurrent protection device. Any sort of surge arrestor, you will need overcurrent protection. Yes. Thank you, fuse box. The lightning is that if it if you've got line protection, it strikes line protection. That strike or the the actual current goes into the earth, or some of it does, and then a big chunk of it also goes into your earthing system and into your electrical installation. So it's it's not coming from the supply as such. It's coming from the actual uh, thing it's uh, struck onto so if that helps <laughs> yeah hopefully oh. uh, Dave Betteridge says DDCLC uh, 6164312 worth the buy is it worth the buy yeah it's still low is there, are any of them worth the buy standard no <laughs> don't um, buy it Dave for God's sake stop buying them Dave yes I, I don't know which one that is mate it's the um it's basically standard for, um, it's called low voltage surge protection devices connected to low voltage power distribution system selection and application principles. Oh, you said it's the cheapest though. It's only 36 quid. Come on. Yeah. yeah okay. Fair enough. Whatever you want. Right, I'm going to paste in the group uh, chat Kirsty's uh, website to her training academy link. I do strongly suggest you guys just absorb more information um, and look at what she does there. Anything else we want to talk about this? It's gone 10 o'clock now. Not so. on this. Um, I just want to say that there will eventually, at some point, and I don't know when, be a fire one and an emergency lighting one. It will not be next Wednesday. There is no webinar next Wednesday. Um, we're going to take a little break from these. this podcast coming out now every week. Um, yes, we've got podcasts regularly now on E5, haven't we? So we've got the we have got the emergency lighting one we're going to do. We've got a fire one we will do, and we will promise we will follow up the DNO. The DNO one probably be later in this year, maybe early next year, depending on how many more thousands of pounds worth of test kit we need to buy to actually figure out what's going on. And again, you can always you can always kind of have a hint of the ongoing with this because we share stuff on E5 Instagram. We do. I mean, the test kit you were showing pictures of today with your About eighty uh, grand's worth. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. And let's not yeah. forget, you've got Amendment 2 coming out that you're going to have to comment yeah. on. So well, yes, there's a lot going on. <laughs> there's that, that going be on. The next bit. That yes. will be, when that comes out, we'll then have to lock ourselves away digitally <laughs> and just read out to each other and then shout at each other when we've fallen asleep. Um, and yeah, get some webinars for them as well. So, yeah. Well, thank you very much for having me again, guys. You know, I love working with you. Thanks for coming, Kirsty. It's a pleasure to have you as always. Yeah, it is absolutely. Uh, thank you very much. Uh, Guys in the chat, anything else you guys? You done? Uh, second what Daniel said. I don't know what Daniel said. Uh, Kirsty, David, Paul, and JW, you are here at 10 p.m. helping us a lot with great education and content. Thank you, absolute legends. Peace and love, everyone. No worries, mate. It's fine. You know.
um, you know, we, we, we're learning here. You know, we, we, we're all learning. We're just sharing the learning. Um, just imagine if all the specialists in the electrical industry did stuff like this, how much better the electrical industry would be from a safety and a standard point of view. Like, I'm, I'm sure I'm, I'm not, yeah. not to preempt what Dave, uh, I'm pretty sure that most of the industry has already taken every page they can from Dave's book. Pretty much. Uh, um, yeah. We were, unfortunately, they have to be able to do it. They can have the ideas, but they've got to do it. Um, and I'll be afraid to not, do it. Either. Yeah, a lot of people just don't want to do it. A lot of people who do it look like they're being held up at ransom in front of a camera. Yep. Uh, there's no, there's not a lot of passion, unfortunately, is there? Um, people are saying, yeah, um, Kirsty, get in the Discord. Uh, you don't have to get in the Discord. Kirstie. I don't, don't know what Discord is. It's just it's it's a it's a secret a place where these people who are interested in this stuff. They, they spend their spare time talking and carrying on these conversations. It's and a things. debating society it's, online. It's, it's all my fault. Oh, I'd love to be involved with that. What, what you got to do is you go sparkingninja.com, look under the My Ugly Mug, there's a Discord button, you'll get an invite, you just create a little login. It's supposed to be for gaming. App, it's a, you, it's you've a, got an app, you can download an app, Kirsty. I've yeah. got it on an app on my phone, so if, if, if I I'm, if I'm really want to, you know, hmm. just see what's going on, I'll look at it and go, wow, okay, very intelligent. Yeah. It's... Um, yeah, that's the key thing. It's 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 like a little forum online, but it's intelligent conversations, not stupid questions like what's earth bonding and things like that. It's actually proper it's like free Okay. Yeah, that's what Paul Brewerton says, and that's right. that's it. Providing this for free. Oh, for an invite. Okay. Uh, all right, guys. Um, yeah, everyone's saying get on the Discord. Get on the Discord. Uh, all right, guys. Uh, thank you for coming. Your dad's in. telling me don't do it <laughs> instead. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Right. <laughs> He's right. Um, so yeah, um, we haven't got a next another one of these to announce right now. Um, so you guys can obviously pop the Discord, um, check out Kirsty's uh, sites. The link is there. If you're watching YouTube, we'll put the link down here. Um, anything else, guys? John, Paul? No, I think that's covered more than we intended to anyway. And yeah, uh, it's, oh, no, it's actually, great. one thing: there is a um, the Earthing E5 web uh, podcast is out tomorrow morning for me and John. When the one right. you didn't turn up to because you forgot you did part two oops yeah it's all right don't worry it's so, that long now. It's so long yeah. ago yeah i've got virtually no hair or anything in it so yeah there you go all right well um okay i'm gonna i'm gonna hit the end button which means we disappear so cheers again thank you Kirsty, for coming on and uh we'll do this again soon no problem thanks for having me guys right. bye everybody bye